There is something singularly horrifying about the idea of innocent playthings coming to life as evil monsters. We have all felt that eternal fear of something small and deadly under our bed. And the truth of the matter is, no one really knows what dolls and puppets do when the lights go out. A little doll coming to life is going to creep me out no matter what. And I'm going to kick it. I'm going to drop kick them if I can. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. This is episode 181, Tiny Terrors. This episode of Horror Movie Podcast is brought to you by our Movie Podcast Network patrons and by Shudder, the Netflix for horror. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R dot com and the promo code H-M-P. On Horror Movie Podcast, you get in-depth horror movie reviews for classics and new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And on this episode of Horror Movie Podcast, we're going to learn that you don't have to be a hulking masked maniac or a towering demon spawn to be scary as we discuss Tiny Terrors. This is Gilman Joel Robertson, and my co-hosts are... Hey, it's Dr. Shark Becker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh. I am a magician, you sons of bitches. You can't kill me. We don't want to kill you, Josh. You just want me to suffer. You don't necessarily want me to die. No, of course not. No. Of course of not, course Josh. Not. I, I want not. you to suffer like, say, if I had forgotten to hit record and we recorded for 30 solid minutes before I realized it. That's how I want you to suffer, Josh. That's how I want you to suffer. I'm not suggesting that's what happened. Well, you did do your wish of doing more than one Tiny Terrors episode. <laughs> I guess I did. At least 1.5. Yeah, I, I, guess, I guess the only positive for you two is that I realized it 30 minutes in and not an hour and a half to two hours in. <laughs> right, yes. So here we are, folks. Tiny Terrors. I know it is the themed episode. Everyone, okay, maybe Juan and me, have been waiting for. This is the episode <laughs> where we finally discuss, where we give the tiniest of terrors their due. I'm not 100% sure about Juan. No. <laughs> I thought I thought he was a fan. I know he's a child's play fan, right? Yeah. No, I'm just joking. Oh, okay. It might, it might be you and Juan. Okay. Okay. I think barely Ashley's on board. Okay, with whatever that's right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Doing. So Ashley, Juan, and me, we are down <laughs> for the tiny terrors. Kate Come on. Wolf, Mike Fitzgerald is in. You're definitely growing a tiny army. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I love these. I love this subgenre. There is a lot of facets to this one. A lot of different subgenres mixed into the one. Tiny Terror House. We had initially discussed doing this episode last October when we did our Puppet Master series. It kind of came up the concept, and then you've been with us for the better part of a year. And so it's kind of been building and building, and that list has been building and building. And we basically decided to exclude two of the kind of sub genres that could have been rolled into this, which were 
the creepy killer kids and when animals attack type films. So although those uh, definitely have some good entries, it was becoming a lot of films, number one. And number two, I think both of those could have their own separate subgenre conversation or episode. We probably also could have split up the killer dolls and made given them their own episode. But my take was we'd already done Child's Play. We'd already done Puppet Master. I don't know that we need an entire separate dolls conversation, especially since we'll probably do a full Annabelle series at some point when those movies finally run their course. And I'll let the fact that we aren't going to have any more doll specific episodes other than maybe Annabelle pass, even though I would be down for doing it. I would be totally. Well, and we had actually talked about doing a uh, Child's Play versus episode here pretty soon. So there's Whoa. still, unfortunately, somehow, plenty of doll content not, on the horizon. Yeah, we're not done with dolls yet. Oh, thank God. Thank God. So uh, I guess where I want to make sure I get that tiny terrors are not for everybody, that uh, some people think that they aren't scary. Some people think that, you know, depending on what you're talking about, you know, whether it's dolls or you know, demon creatures or, or, you know, certainly killer kids, that kind of stuff that a lot of people just don't find little things like that scary. And I get that. I personally do. Why is that, Joel? (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of reasons why, uh, but I will say on a personal level, the psychology of why I find them scary, and it's not so much scary in the, okay, I'm worried a serial killer doll is going to you know wipe me and my whole family off the planet kind of thing. It's more of just the creepy, what do they call it, the uncanny nature of dolls. Yeah. And specifically, the fact that when I was four years old, I don't even know how I was able to watch this unsupervised, but apparently I was. It was the 80s. It was a crazy time. Uh, and... I went and watched on Dr. Paul Bearer's Creature Feature, which was a show on WTOG 44 in the Tampa Bay area. Um, And he was showing Devil Doll. And as Dave and I have talked about, it is not the Todd Browning Devil Doll, which I have never seen. And I'm sure being that it was Todd Browning is probably significantly better as a movie. But the (laughs) memory I have of this movie is it involved a magician and his ventriloquist doll named Hugo. And for... The movie, they had a, I presume it was a little person or, or a kid. I, I assume it was a little person that was in the role of Hugo. And they had him wear this paper mache mask head. So it wasn't your traditional ventriloquist dummy where the mouth would move or anything like that. But what it was, it was something about the uncanny nature of his movements. Because, you know, it's a person walking around. So it was just very fluid. And and he just, he seemed very lifelike, understandably. And yeah. You see that in the Child's Play film as well. Yes. When you have a little person, and it's a super freaky looking. It for is some very. Yeah. It is something about that. Like you, you're talking about those fleeting moments of Chucky running in by in the background or something. That honestly creeps me out maybe more than anything else in the whole movie. And because it's almost like what I imagine if you just out of the corner of your eye caught something like that, what it would look like. <laughs> You'd be like, what? What the hell? What, what was that? What? And I remember seeing and, and like to this day, I I had you know images just seared into my brain of he keeps Hugo in a cage and occasionally lets him out to do his bidding. And, and as I recall, the magician is controlling Hugo, you know, to do something like to take advantage of people or do something. And there was this one thing I just remember seeing where they got him. I think they got him a, a girl doll. And I don't know, as a companion. I don't, I, I don't think I don't remember if she was alive or not. I don't think so. And he was on the back of this doll 
and just like ripping the stuffing out at one point. And it just, it horrified me. It just terrified me. Cut to a year and a half or so later, uh, six years old, and it's Christmas. And my parents decide in, in their infinite wisdom that it'd be a great idea to get me a Mortimer Snurd ventriloquist dummy for Christmas. <laughs> for I, Christmas? Yes, and, and, wow. I don't, and I don't recall requesting that. I don't recall saying, you know what, mom and dad, you know, it's it's like what at this point, it's 1982. I don't want anything from that crazy movie I've seen a gazillion times, E.T. <laughs> I don't want, you know, any anything related to, to these things that I love from this era. No, no, no. I want... A, a thing that probably hasn't been a popular toy for 20 years. So let's go ahead and get me a Mortimer Snurd ventriloquist dummy. And they had to have known about the devil doll thing. Cause I, I, as traumatic as that was, I'm sure I was crying and freaked me out. So I don't know, maybe my parents just didn't like me. <laughs> they were like, yeah, we're going to share that little son of a, and <laughs> maybe it was therapy. Maybe it was their way of, of helping you over that hump. Exposure therapy. My parents were so progressive in their viewpoint. <laughs> they were like, this child needs exposure therapy. No, I don't think that was it. So they got me this doll. And again, my memory was I got him and it became a nightly ritual to sneak down off my bunk bed to chuck him into the closet. And we had those accordion type doors. I would shut them and just with whatever I could get my hands on a belt, uh, a robe uh, belt, you know, that kind of thing. And just try to bind those handles so he would not escape in the middle of the night and kill me. And specifically, I remember you had to have your hands and your feet in the sheet, you know, in, under your sheets, because that was a barrier that because that's what he would, of course, gnaw on first. So you had to have them under the sheet as a barrier. That was your protection that I remember very specifically. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I had one as well. Emmett Kelly, the clown. So it's a clown ventriloquist doll. That might be worse. Jeez Louise. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's. It broke around the late 80s. I got it in the late 70s. It broke in the late 80s. Um, the, the string, you, you pull a string and its mouth moves. Now the mouth hangs perpetually open. <laughs> it just mouth is always open. <laughs> and everybody hates this thing but me. And I, I like it you know, to play jokes. I hung it in my mother's refrigerator once and she opened the door and freaked out. And <laughs> I've used it to scare other people. But yeah, I guess I could be <laughs> considered fairly creepy it's a clown it's a ventriloquist dummy and its mouth is always open especially when you hang it like i did in my mother's fridge and the mouth is just dangling open as it's, <laughs> as it's, as it's in there freaked her out and i i know i took a picture of it and sent it to you guys yes, and, and my wife has grown to hate it my kids have grown to hate it my wife saw me bringing it downstairs to take the picture and she said if you try to scare me with that gd thing again i'm tearing it to shreds Mm. <laughs> so were you ever for her were you ever scared of it dave were you ever scared of it i never was because i saw other people scared and i, I took advantage of that gotcha okay um <laughs> so it never scared me i it scared my mother i think i think i got it with my christmas money and my mother's like oh why do you want that <laughs> and i think that at that point i was off and running yeah of course of course yeah i actually still have my mortimer snurt as well he's in a trunk in the garage uh it's locked secure i don't uh, <laughs> i don't know how you can live with that thing in your house i don't either open the trunk and it might not be there anymore yeah i get i get the fear of dolls because i also get the fear of clowns and i get that they have that uncanny thing you were talking about joel and i think there's something specifically when you're dealing with the innocence of youth and these things these images that are kind of uh, you know uh introduced to children that 
should or are intended most likely to give us joy, but with very little effort can kind of be twisted into something unsanctimonious into something evil. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I get I get the fear of that. My personal experience was I had a friend whose house we would go over to whenever we wanted to cut out of school because they lived by the school. His parents were home during the day and it was, you know, it was a place where we could go play video games or watch movies or, or mess around uh, during school hours if we wanted to cut out of a class. And my friend's mom had a room full of porcelain dolls that she kept from her childhood and I believe still collected as an adult and it was right next to the bathroom. So you would be with your friends watching a movie or playing a video game or whatever. And then you'd need to go to the restroom and you had to walk down this hallway on the side of the house. And at the very end of the hallway was the doll room. And then right next to that was the bathroom. So I'd always reach in and just hurry and close that doll door closed before I went to the restroom because I didn't want anything to be waiting for me when I came out. And that was a legitimate concern because there was one doll in particular that I swear to you traveled. Like every time you would go around a corner, it would just be standing there waiting for you. And I know there were times when our friends did it to each other to, to freak each other out as Dave's kind of. Uh, told with his story i'm assuming and i assumed at the time that our friend's mom uh you know just changed up her decorating home decor and moved that doll around occasionally but it truly felt that that doll was out to get you and it was always going to be waiting for you alone in some dark corner of the house and it, it really happened many many times where you'd turn the corner where it had been before look for it, it's not there so you turn behind you and there it is in that other corner, you know, and that just was a creepy vibe. So oh, I get man. that. I think my issue with a lot of these tiny terror movies is that they're just not that scary. Like I can get why something creepy can be scary. For me, it's that beyond the uncanny nature, it's the screen. I think the idea of something scuttling behind you that you don't see that, that just is freaky to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but a lot of these movies are just kind of goofy. Most of them, as we talked about are comedies and, you know, in the, a lot of cases, comedies first uh, before we get to the horror elements. And so <clears throat> I think that's probably where a lot of my reluctance to discuss them has come from. I think that's fair, but I also mm-hmm. think that I know for me that it is the creepy factor. It is, it is less the, danger of potential violence though some of these movies have including one that'll be feature reviewed here uh, for this episode that they do have that element to them and that potential but and this relates more back to the doll thing and i'm sure we'll we'll get into some of the other little sort of sub sub genres of of uh, tiny terrors in a minute but you know when it comes to dolls specifically it really is that the subtle thing the thing you were just talking about josh of the you know, did i just see something move wasn't it over there two seconds ago? It's almost the doubting yourself, your own sanity. The fact that you're, wait, wait, that can't be real. I, you know, yeah. I always love that in a movie where a character's like, this is stupid. There's no way this is happening. And I think that's exactly what it would be like if you were in a situation where you left a doll in a room and there's nobody else around and you came back and it was gone. And you're looking around and, you know, immediately you'd assume <laughs> that you're just having blackouts and you're just obviously during those blackouts, you're picking it up and moving it somewhere because there's that is a more reasonable explanation than it got up and walked. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> but if you aren't having blackouts and you can account for every minute you were there, I don't know about you, but that to me is, I, I guess on some level, I find that so much creepier than even uh, even a potential violent threat. Like if, I feel like the violence part of it, yeah, it's it's uh, upsetting and unsettling. And obviously, you know, nobody wants to get, you know, stabbed in their sleep. <laughs> but I just, I don't know, there's something about that moment of realization um, you know, I know we're going to eventually do the Child's Play versus episode, you know, the original versus the re- the remake and without going into anything specific. I feel like everybody who's seen Child's Play and, you know, we did the you guys did the franchise review. Uh, it, but that moment where, uh, you know, she's holding up the doll, you know, and, and say something, you know, they, you, you have to feel insane. You have to be like, why am I talking about even at that moment, even though, OK, where the batteries go, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> You would still have to be questioning your own sanity. And then the fear is that it would at that moment <laughs> come alive in your hands. And honestly, in, in in the case of that movie in particular, that character handles it far better than I would because I would have, in fact, wet myself. So and I would and I certainly would have gone looking for anything. So I would have bolted <laughs> and been gone. So I, I that's why I find them scary few months back and i i sent uh, you guys this image so you've seen it but uh uh maybe we can include it in the show notes that'd be actually kind of fun if uh, people want to want to see what this oh, doll, doll look like so my wife and i were at an antique mall because we're those people and <laughs> we were walking around an antique mall and we passed this glass case and it's it's one of those like you know every like these little vendor booths and none of them are have anybody there they just sort of leave them and you go up to the front with whatever you get right. and they, you know they look at the ticket and they go oh, you bought this from such such booth so there's it's completely you know in the middle of this big warehouse space and it's this glass booth and in it are various old toys and specifically there's this doll and i don't know if it was like it it was too small i think to be a ventriloquist doll though it did i believe have one of those mouths that i that presumably at one point you could have pulled a string and it would have opened and closed and it i don't know if at one point got the head got broken but it has that you know fractured egg look that somebody glued back together mm-hmm, and right. and it just it had this really just old creepy vibe to it and i saw i, I pointed to my wife I was like hey hon, look oh they only want 60 bucks for it you know what do you think like you know and and then i noticed next to the ticket for 60 bucks is another little car little ticket that's attached to it that says possibly haunted <laughs> Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking either that is genius marketing, <laughs> right? Or they're telling the truth and they feel like it's a buyer beware situation. <laughs> it, uh, well, it wasn't genius marketing if it was still sitting there. Well, well, here's the thing. Well, it, uh, cut to like a month or so later, we went back to the same place. It was gone. Oh, wow. So yeah. and either, then you talked to the person working there and they said, no, no one bought that. Yeah, no it one bought it. Yeah, I, I, see, that would be genius, wouldn't <laughs> it's it? It's not there? It's, yeah, that would be the response. <laughs> that I would love to think that if I worked there, that would have been my response. Are, are you serious? Show me where it was. <laughs> like you're real death scared. Like pulling your keys out of your pocket real fast. Like you gotta. <laughs> Man, I can't imagine being the person who works at the antique mall that has to close up every night with that doll in the building. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, or not even just that doll, <laughs> but like, you know, there's multiple things in that place that if anything's going to be haunted, it would be those things. Yeah. And so if there's any place with haunted artifacts, you're yes. in that place. And you and, and you would go to like, just like, turn the lights off and you're in the back of the place. You got to walk all the way to the front. And then maybe you have like your little light from your phone <laughs> and you're just, and you would just crack at, at various points throughout the warehouse. You would just hear like a scratching or like a, some, like you said, oh, like boy. a little scuttling. Oh God. Oh, <laughs> right. no way, dude. <laughs> The, do- the doll's head is suddenly turned and oh, looking at you. Oh, God. So anyway, needless to say, I said to my wife, half joking, half serious, because I'm a bit of a masochist, where I said, hey, hon, 
what do you think? It's only 60 bucks. And she gave me like the, my wife is a, is a very calm, just reasoned person, but she gave me a look in no uncertain terms that told me where I needed to go and where I needed to shove it. If I thought for two seconds, I was getting that thing. Although what's really funny is, and I, I, I wanted to add this little part of the story to show what an amazing father I am, that I, uh, the next day I'm showing kids some pictures of some stuff that we, you know, when we were there, I was like, oh yeah, look, we saw this. And then I get to that doll and I show them. And I was like, what do you think of this? And they like kind of get that look on their face like, ugh, you know? And then I go to the close up of the ticket that said possibly haunted and they read it. And they went, they got their eyes got big. I said, guys, it's in the garage. I went ahead and got it. <laughs> man for like about five seconds the looks on their faces were like oh what you should have taken them over to the mortimer trunk and had them uh, yeah, open yeah, yeah just yeah it's right in oh, here boy. son it's right in here open it real slow uh but yeah i <laughs> so i i was like ah, i'm just kidding they're like oh i loved it though for a split second like they know me so well they actually questioned they actually thought yeah i totally buy that my dad would buy this this freaking haunted doll <laughs> <laughs> obviously that brings to mind annabelle but yes the thing that it reminded me of most recently was watching tales from the hood 2 where there's this sequence that i really enjoyed where these two young white ladies they're probably college-age students they go to a museum of negrosity and it has all of these kind of racist artifacts in it from, you know, slave times and civil war era and a lot of stuff that was used as propaganda against black folks, you know, just kind of racist offensive materials. And uh, they see this gollywog doll, golly G, but it's also in this case and it has kind of a similar, you know, now you see it, now you don't kind of that quality to wow. it. And one of the girls wants to buy it. She becomes obsessed with the doll. I love this doll, you know. And the guy who's running the museum warns them. Nothing in here is for sale due to its evil nature. It was all used as racial propaganda against black folks. And he just wants it here for people to be able to experience. But these girls love it. They're just like, oh, it's so funny. It's so cute. You know, they're not really sensitive to the underlying meanings of these things <laughs> and uh it doesn't end well for them let's just say mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah now i will ask you guys do you know what the first example of creepy dolls specifically in hmm. movies like well i don't i i had on the list that we kind of had going devil doll from 1936 was the first one i saw listed i don't know if there are earlier no um the only talkie movie that Lon Chaney made, which was in the very early days of talkie, was a remake of the Unholy. Was it the Unholy Three? Yes. Where he has a ventriloquist doll. Yes. And and he does several voices uh, in the film, and that's a remake. In 1925, they did the Unholy Three. Um, but I'm not sure if that's the same movie, but I think, I think it is because I, it's, I think Lon Chaney only made one sound film and I think that was it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he did the 1930 unholy three. There was also a 1925 unholy three. Yes. yes and, and, and that could have had a ventriloquist dummy in it as well, since it's a remake. Well, now there's other movies that had ventriloquist dummies. Like I think also, was it the great Gabo? If you guys remember that one, it was like from 1929. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I didn't I didn't see that one. It's a doll that's presumably alive, but I don't think it's perceived necessarily as evil. Does that make sense? 
Interesting. Yeah. 1945's Dead of Night. Yes, that one is the one I always come to yeah. as a, an example of a creepy, evil dummy type movie which interesting to note that dummy was also named hugo like the one from the movie that scarred me as a kid which by the way i did look up was 1964's devil doll right starring no one you've ever heard of and directed by presumably <laughs> no one you've ever heard of but it it, it <laughs> has stuck with me forever right. so uh, i mean that's interesting because that dead of night is also an anthology film yes, correct? It so is. That yes has it one is. segment that's with a doll yes so right. it's interesting you've got these ventriloquist dummies and dolls not all of them are even evil up until about 1964. Now, what I thought of that I thought maybe this is the start of getting other little monstrosities in the mix because you really are only talking about two to three scary doll movies between the silent era and 1964, which is kind of crazy, actually. Mm-hmm. As far as our yeah. research, I guess, goes, you're only talking yeah. about three films maybe in that entire 30 plus year period. But in Star Trek, 1967, The Trouble with Tribbles. You have these little furry creatures that are not scary, but the way that they interact with the story is troubling. And I feel like they feel like prototypes to gremlins, to critters, to kind of the types of tiny terrors we would get later on. Mm -hmm. And I have a feeling, an assumption that the trouble with tribbles was a major influence on probably a lot of the other tiny terror creature films we got after it is interesting you bring that up because the trouble with tribbles was also a partial comedy if you recall the way that they interacted with the tribbles i remember kirk trying to stay serious with but when he ordered his meal through the replicator and it came out with nothing but tribbles on it he figured i want these things off my ship i want them off now you know he's like so it's definitely some comedy in there as well now would you guys consider the the doll from saw to be part of this discussion sure yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I, I guess in the sense that it's creepy and it's effective, it's I, I, obviously it's being controlled in a mechanical nature by a person. Right. But it, I was kind of thinking about Deep Red the same way. It's yeah. only one little scene, but, you know, they. I think despite, you know, their failure to completely comply with the other films in the subgenre they're still operating on the same scare factor they're using the same fear against the audience yeah. right this uncanny right. tiny terrifying thing yeah so well, i think you, it counts yeah and if you want to this isn't ventriloquist dummy at this point this is just a regular doll but again not the whole movie but the one segment that everybody remembers from trilogy of terror yes absolutely the final one with that little that little doll the zuni fetish doll yes 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 it it is culturally insensitive but by god is it terrifying it is it really is oh my yeah, god it, it, it's very it really it is terrifying and yeah. you can find it there are several um anthologies i think that that at least one segment of them deal with uh, a tiny terror wait and before i forget before i forget asylum from 1972 the amicus uh, anthology. Oh, right. Yeah, because mm-hmm. there's a scene with Herbert Lom, and there's a sequence uh, involving these sort of mechanized doll-like creatures that are very creepy as well. So right, Cat's Eye has a very memorable sequence yes. towards the end with a with a tiny terror. Twilight Zone, the movie, another anthology. A lot of these anthology yeah. films we're talking about have, you know, a doll sequence because they're terrifying, guys. That is why. <laughs> 
talked about Tales from the Hood too, but you mentioned there's also a scene in the original Tales from the Hood. Yeah, yeah, the Corbin Burnson sequence where he's the racist senator and the African-American dolls come to life and uh, attack him, as, as it were. I remember that being a very effective, because I remember the design of them was super creepy too. So that was mm-hmm. uh, that was really effective. So yeah, I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. and then we you know, Puppet Master and the, the list goes on and on for the all, the all the potential dolls. Of course, Chucky being sort of, I guess you could say, the king among the, the killer dolls. But, you know, I guess ultimately we have other sort of side subgenres. <laughs> yes, and, and, and it seems Charles Band is the king of all Tiny Towers. Yes, he does have quite um, a few. Both, uh, you know, pre-Full Moon and uh, once Full Moon was formed. I mean, it, the original Troll was produced by Charles Band. Uh, the, what was the other one that... Um, Ghoulies. Dolls. Dolls. Yeah, Ghoulies. Dolls. Yep. Produced by Charles Band. And then you get into, obviously, Puppet Master and uh, Ginger Dead Man and uh, Evil Bong and all these other things that are, that are uh, Full Moon. Um, so he really, uh, I don't want to say cornered the market on them. I'm not going to go that far, but he definitely has uh, an affinity for tiny terrors. He's built a tiny empire as <laughs> yes. <it is>. on <laughs> tiny terrors. But you know, one thing I was thinking, Alien, really, 1979 is not ultimately with the xenomorph not a tiny terror but there's definitely a tiny terror aspect to those films as well with the face huggers chest bursters right operating on tiny terror horror tropes the the most memorable the most traumatic scene for many people in that film is uh a tiny terror yeah yeah yes it is yeah and i would say in aliens there's back to that scuttling idea there's a, an entire sequence involving a couple of characters trapped in a room, and I know you guys know what I'm talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you with and you just you hear the things moving around, and it's you know it's really really intense. Oh, so yeah. yeah, it's definitely effective. Well, and of course I know that you are a, a bit of a fan as am I, Wolfman, and I'm assuming Davis as well. Of of course uh, Gremlins, which sort of yep. I guess we could say Gremlins is probably the first blockbuster tiny terror movie couldn't we yeah it was the one that cleared the way for all the other tiny terrors whether based on gremlins or not and you have to say well even the ones that claim that they were not inspired by by gremlins like for example critters was supposedly written in the late 70s early 80s but it would have never been made had gremlins not existed sure they dusted that script off in a hurry when they saw the box office returns (laughs) for, for gremlins yeah right exactly which Gremlins came out the year after Twilight Zone the movie, which had revived the Gremlin on the airplane scenario from mm-hmm. old Twilight Zone series. So it's all interconnected. So Gremlins was, you know, I just loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And then I heard at some point about Critters coming out. I don't even know how I would have heard this at nine, ten years of age, but I did. I heard about it coming out and it came out in 86, I believe. And around that time, in 85, another movie came out with a similar title. And it was Creepers, which is actually uh, Dario Argento's phenomena. And that... Which, if had we included kind of the animal kingdom, could have also been in this discussion. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Whenever we do a killer insect theme, that will definitely be a top tier. I definitely want to feature review that one. So my cousin, who's about five years older than me, big horror fan, he... he exposed me to my first Friday 13th movies, exposed me to a lot of horror stuff that uh, probably way before I should have been. And he told me he had rented a movie and I 
thought he said critters. Now this would have had, I'm guessing may have been some point in early 86 and maybe what it was. And, you know, being a kid, critters was probably, if it was out at that point, was at the theaters. Like I, I don't think it would have been on video yet. So I don't know why I thought he had a copy. This is definitely pre-internet and pre-bit torrent and pre <laughs> the ability to get stuff before you're supposed to have it. So, right. so he, but I could have sworn he said critters. And so I went with him to his house and we sat down and he showed me creepers, AKA phenomena at like nine, 10 years old or however old I was. And <laughs> it was traumatizing <laughs> and uh, horrifying. And as a result that I would see critters, you know, a year or so later when I ever, if I, I didn't see it in the theater, I definitely rented that one. Um, but when I finally saw critters, I remember I really loved it. I never found it scary per se. I mean, I think there's some intense moments, but I found it about the same level as a tremors that it was, intense at times had some suspense to it but i just loved it as a monster movie as a creature feature type movie well someone who was terrified of tremors when it came out i could <laughs> should also say i was terrified of critters when it came out there were horror characters and concepts in the 80s that i just knew about even though i hadn't seen them at the time freddy krueger is a good example of that but critters was another of those where i'd seen the poster i'd seen the trailer and the thought of it just terrified me you know it was the creature design for sure it was also this idea of the kind of rolling into a giant ball that for some reason scared the living crap out of me but i just have a very specific memory of delivering my papers on my paper route and thinking about this critters trailer that i'd seen and just getting more and more nervous as the sun started to go down and just thinking, okay, I got to hurry and get these papers delivered so I can get back home. Cause I'm getting freaked out here and what, <laughs> by the thought of these critters. And of course, yeah, when I eventually saw it, um, it wasn't necessarily scary, but like tremors, I think because my initial concept was fear and terror, it had kind of an underlying scar tissue that, informed my later viewings anyway yeah and i guess i could see that though i find it fascinating kids are endlessly fascinating to me in the way they'll fill in these gaps that really make no there's no rational rhyme or reason to any of it like why when you're on a paper route right why not at your house why not <laughs> well I, I mean well it was just because i had just i had i don't know i had just been thinking about it while i was delivering papers got it okay. you know what i mean yeah so it wasn't right. that it wasn't that it triggered anything necessarily i just <laughs> my that's where my brain went while i was delivering or the just paper. the fact that the giant ball <laughs> thing is what freaked you out like i just think it's it's interesting like what those little things are and every yeah. person is different well, imagery i hadn't really seen before and obviously i was very familiar with you know uh the raiders of the lost ark and so that kind of giant ball idea at that time was scary to me sure. and cool but scary but then the idea of these terrifying looking monsters because that creature design is intense yeah and the idea of that just kind of turning into this big deathly ball rolling at you i don't know that was a scary image and concept. I mean, I have to hand it to them. That's what they were going for. So yeah. right. I, don't, I don't think we should be too surprised that it had its desired effect. Yeah, the, in, <laughs> the indie boulder with teeth definitely sounds yeah. a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> sounds a little more intense and honestly to your point i mean the chiota brothers and their design of the critter and obviously you know if, if you look at something like killer clowns from outer space they have a specific look and feel to their work that is it's it's not it's almost so grotesque that it it ceases even to be comical that it just it's just weird looking in in a good way in a really right. effective way so yeah i totally mm -hmm. get why it's a, as a kid um, you're a few years younger than me so i imagine that it would have been pretty intense for you. Uh, again, yeah. when, when, when I when my baseline was, I saw Creepers AK Phenomena first, 
<laughs> it was gonna be critters and then i saw critters like wow this is like a disney movie this is this is great <laughs> so that was probably my my reason for it not affecting me quite at the same level i and the movies really went downhill after gremlins though is that fair to say like the tiny terror as a genre uh, I critters mean, aside, fair, yeah. I, I would argue critters is pretty darn I, I i love gremlins always will love gremlins but critters is up there for me i love critters the, and, fir- the first critters yeah the yeah. first critters i was entertained by and parts of the second as well yes i yeah, think parts sure. of the second movie were were uh were pretty strong also yeah I mean, there are films that aren't necessarily at all horror films, but had scary elements to me like Dark Crystal or Labyrinth that I thought, you know, there was also something with the tiny nature of a lot of the creatures in those films that was scary. What about The Gate? You remember The Gate? Oh, definitely. Oh, my Uh, God. The Gate to me, that movie, I love that movie, first off. But secondly, those little demon creatures are Mm -hmm. really just creepy and just and if you actually go back and watch how they pulled off some of those effects and then it, it, get back to that it's the movement i mean yeah they use stop motion but they actually had people in suits and use force perspective and things to to create that effect and it, those things are so creepy obviously they're not the like unlike a critters or gremlins they're not the whole point of the movie but they are creepy and one of the for me when i first saw it i'm thinking that could be one of the most impressive effects i've ever seen of, oh i know what you're talking about of a big one falling down yeah where the guy falls down and it just when he hits it just it breaks off and like all of them they go scurrying oh it's so cool all the little mm-hmm. ones go see yeah i looked at that and i i was i was like that is pretty incredible pre-cgi that is an amazing effect yeah yeah pre-cgi that they pulled that off that was amazing yeah yeah it still works to this day yes I think. it does it does so i yeah. i guess then you were uh, you were saying then josh that uh let's say the movies that pay homage to gremlins <laughs> is that the nice way to say it yeah sure so uh do you have uh, any other ones that you uh, want to disparage i mean bring up uh <laughs> well i mean i think charles band really went a long way in uh capitalizing on kind of the success of a film like gremlins and you know we got the Ghoulies, which he had a hand in, of course, later the Puppet Master films and Demonic Toys and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I think um, the ones that I just thought were really bad retreads of Gremlins would be films like Hobgoblins and Munchies. And I know you're a fan of Munchies. I am a big fan of Munchies. And I will say, I acknowledge Munchies to me, if I have to point to a movie, somebody says, hey, Joel, what is C&D, Cinematic Nostalgia Disorder, really? I'd go, C Exhibit A, Munchies. Okay, a movie that I have all knowledge is not a great movie, but I still love it. It's pure nostalgia. I was 11 when it came out. I I just love the movie. But you bring up Hobgoblins, of which I've seen pieces of, and I can tell you that Hobgoblins is to Munchies as Munchies is to Gremlins. There is a wide chasm (laughs) Mm, that's I, hard to believe i'm telling you man movie could be that bad <laughs> i just just go after this just go youtube hobgoblins and just watch a few clips and i think that's Munchies all you'll is so bad though it, too. it's bad but in that campy over the top goofy sort of way okay when you're got, saying hobgoblins no exactly because you i mean you at least have like what is it frank welker isn't that the uh, voiceover actor mm-hmm. that, that that does uh, yeah. you know the you know the voices and and so you know at least you have like the it's goofy it's silly it's not scary in any way shape or form but again i find it in a cinematic nostalgia disorder sort of way charming hobgoblins is borderline unwatchable wow 
And if Josh found Munchies unwatchable, imagine how we had <laughs> Yeah, he his eyes literally might bleed. <laughs> I just can't imagine things getting much worse than Munchies. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I'm telling you, man. I I, I would I really want you to try. I want you to find Hobgoblins or at least even a clip. I don't. I'm like I like you, Josh. I don't think you should have to sit through the whole thing. I just find a clip and start to watch it. All right. I'm telling you. All right. <laughs> I'm telling you. I stand well, by. Let's it. talk about another one of your faves, and I and I do like this movie. I appreciate it a lot more than I appreciate a film like Munchies. But Night of the Creeps, you know, you've talked before about your fear of rats, and I think, you know, for me, it's the creepy crawlies like we see in the Night of the Creeps, those slugs, and of course later in Slither, yes. which is paying homage greatly to Night of the Creeps. But those slugs, those slithery creepy slugs creep me the crap out yeah oh yeah for sure and and i think just that the nature of it is such an effective element too that you know they get in your brain turn you into what's ostensibly a zombie and then when you shoot someone in the head the head of course has to explode and just dump out the contents which are now predominantly all of these slug type creatures that have been breeding inside your skull (laughs) just spill out onto the floor it's so right it's awesome i love that see and that's the thing is that i don't obviously i don't find that scary i find it yeah i mean yeah it's unsettling but it, it's it's so weird i don't know what it is it's scary if it happened to you okay to, to be, well actually no probably not i'd be completely oblivious but if it happened to like say my family or a friend yes that would be very terrifying um yeah. but I, I guess i never i mean night of the creeps to be the part i found the scariest without going down a rabbit trail here was the subplot of the the axe murderer because there's something about the whole like you know escape from the asylum urban legend you know while you're sitting out on lover's lane <laughs> right. you know goes up to your car that part always terrified me about that movie oh, i love that movie so much mm-hmm. uh, but the uh the slug part didn't bother me as much i always hmm. found that just wildly entertaining wow that's but, interesting yeah it's interesting what scares us yeah, you know it is. like you say obviously your head being full of slugs is not scary. <laughs> no. <laughs> what? I mean, it's gross, but it's not scary. Jeez Louise. Did you ever see Dolly Dearest? Yes, I have seen Dolly Dearest. Oh, wait, what was that tone? I, I, I'm, I'm confused. What was that tone, Dave? <laughs> I actually kind of like Dolly Dearest. Yeah. I didn't have a problem. I, you know, I, I enjoyed it for what it was, a very low budget creepy doll movie. Yeah, and it stars Denise Crosby and Rip Torn. Right. Mm-hmm. It's got a decent cast, and it's. I think it is exactly that kind of movie that you always have to add the caveat. I liked it for what it is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Know? But but it, it, but that one has the unique quality of that you actually had a uh, up until Annabelle. This was not as prevalent. I don't think you have a female doll. Uh, you know, so you actually mm-hmm. have uh, a little bit you know of, of a different take on it. But again, I found that creepier than the killer slug thing. In Night of the Creeps. I don't know why it is, to your point, Josh, that some things scare everybody differently. But yeah, I find the doll thing way creepier. And it's not even, I guess maybe scary is too strong a word. Like, I don't know. It's scared in that, you know, again, back to that visual of you're closing down the antique mall and you're, you know, you're at the back of the building, you turn the light out, you're using your phone light, you're going through and you start to hear so you're like a little like a can get knocked over or you hear that thing that makes you think that you're not alone in the place and your go-to response is okay there's somebody else in here with me but then you hear something like little small footsteps going by that is going to freak me out 
way more. No, I mean, the slug me. thing, yes. I, I looked down, I saw freaking slugs going across the floor. That would freak me out too. But for some reason, I would just like hightail it or just start stomping on them, I guess is my... It's the penetration, Joel. Let's be honest. Okay, there is that. That's fair. It's the idea that it's getting in my ears. Through your mouth, up your nose. Yeah, yeah. But a little doll coming to life. Yeah, I don't I don't, I don't care if it's, if it's a little, you know, Casper and Richie Rich doll and they're there to, you know, play games. A little doll coming to life is going to creep me out no matter what. Yes. And I'm going to kick it. I'm going to drop kick them if i can <laughs> I, just, I just love the visual of dave just drop kicking casper dolls <laughs> across the antique mall. but I, I i will say that and maybe can we find this common ground it's not even necessarily that it's quote unquote scary and i guess it all depends on what you define as scary what does that even mean it's creepy it's that like tingling skin teary-eyed you know your scalp yeah. Tingle, you know, just that that feeling of like there's something right behind you feeling that's to me what the scary doll tiny terror effect is. Yeah. And I just uh, some are more effective than others for different people, I suppose. But yeah, I mean, for me, yeah, definitely the idea of like something from Alien or something from Gremlins or Annabelle being right behind me is much scarier to me right. than the leprechaun being right behind me. Actually, instance. I just remembered one that just popped into my head and it's not the entire movie, but it's a very key sequence that did traumatize a lot of people. Poltergeist with the clown. Oh, of course. Yeah. Or another one. And I know Dave, you brought this one up uh, I, you know, before we were recording the show, you brought it up, I think uh, an email text message, something, but uh, basket case, the basket case yes. series, you know, with Belial. Again, not a doll. That's a brother. Yeah, yes, but yes. <laughs> really, yeah. That's a, that's another good one. Yeah, and then you could, we can even get into the whole issue of is a movie like The Hand with Michael Caine. Mm. Does that qualify? Because you know you're talking about what scares kids. I have a story of about The Hand. I was sleeping over a friend's house, and it was me, uh, my friend, and my friend's younger brother, and we're watching The Hand on television. So it's edited for TV. And we're laughing at it. The three of us are laughing at it with, oh, look at this. It's so goofy with the hand and all this stuff. And his little brother's laughing at it. We're having a good time with the movie. Well, the little brother was of an age where he had to go to bed first, like an hour before, maybe in two hours before uh, my friend and I had to. Uh, he goes upstairs to bed. And we're continuing to watch the hand again. Now, remember, we were all laughing at this movie and everything. All of a sudden... Uh, my friend's mother is standing at the bottom of the stairs, looking up the steps saying, I thought you were in bed. We can't hear anything the brother is saying. All we hear the mother say is, oh, for God's sake, there's no hand in your room. <laughs> we had to go upstairs and prove that there was no hand in the kid's room. Now, we had been laughing and goofing on this movie, but yet it's still stuck with him when he's alone oh, for in the sure. dark. Yes. The hand scared the hell out of him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> There is a story, an urban legend. I, I don't even should call it an urban legend because it actually technically is a real thing. But have you guys ever heard of Robert the Doll? I didn't think I had until you brought it up. But I Googled it and then I saw, oh, yeah, I have seen this picture of this doll before. Yes. I'm familiar with the movie Robert the Doll. Not that I've seen it. It's another one that I own and have not seen. It's a double feature of Robert the Doll and then, I don't know, Robert the Doll, Return of the Doll. I don't know what the second one's called. But I don't believe the doll looks anything like... The real Robert Dahl. No, it doesn't. And I will say uh, it, that looks like a fun B movie. This, the, the doll itself and the whole backstory to it to me is super creepy. It is an actual doll 
that is from the early 1900s, and it was given to a kid named Otto, Robert Eugene Otto, so I guess hence Robert, and... I'm going to real quick read uh, the Wikipedia history just to give everybody full context. So the doll originally belonged to Robert Eugene Otto, an artist described as quote-unquote eccentric, who belonged to a prominent Key West family. The doll was reportedly manufactured in Germany, uh, purchased by Otto's grandfather while on a trip to Germany in 1904 and given to young Otto as a birthday gift. The doll's sailor suit was likely an outfit that Otto wore as a child. That's what the doll wears currently because that doll is kept in a glass box enclosure at a museum in Key West. So, <laughs> uh, the the story goes that this doll was part of this auto family for years and years and years. And I guess it stayed with this Robert auto all the way up until the point where he died. And then I guess the, some people who ended up with the house, the doll was there. And uh, it, it's one of those stories where you, you, people claim that they would walk past the house, I guess, long after the, the guy died or whatever. And they would see presumably Robert, the doll walking around past the window upstairs. Hmm. People would just claim that they saw this stuff. To me, that's all fine and dandy. But where it gets really creepy is that at, supposedly at this actual museum, the doll sits there. He's in the little, he's on a little stool in his little sailor suit, holding a stuffed dog. So I guess the doll has a doll, and he supposedly just sits there. And people have claimed that if you stare at him long enough, he'll move just slightly. And the other claim is that they say that if you insult him. Or if you uh, try to take a picture without asking his permission, he will curse you, for lack of a better way of putting it. And if you go and Google pictures of him, you can actually see dozens and dozens of postcards and letters. Uh, uh, Some of them look like they're maybe relatively old that are posted all around his enclosure from people who apparently that's the only way they could break the curse is they had to write him essentially an apology note. Wow. And and they claimed that they made fun of him. They said something dumb to him. They didn't take his permission to take a picture. And when they did that, this all this bad stuff started to happen to them. And so I I can neither confirm nor deny whether any of that stuff is true. All I know is it creeps me out and I have no desire to ever cross paths with Robert the doll. No, no. Because <laughs> you may claim it seems like a bunch of bogus bunk, but go ahead then. Go down there. Why test fate? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's back to the the vintage, the antique mall story. Why buy a doll that has a tag on it says possibly haunted? Because just, that could be just good marketing or it could be true. Either way, I don't want to find out. I'm good. I'm yeah, good. I'm yeah. good too. I'm good too. We've talked a lot about Charles Band. I think he's got a lot of films here um, that would be worth mentioning. Dave mentioned a lot of them. Rubber is one that I think is uh, worth mentioning about a killer tire that's pretty exciting. Can I just say something, Josh? I I, yes. I, I literally think, is was that your passive-aggressive backhanded way of insulting my entire themed episode by saying it's the, you're equating like a killer tire? <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the best entries. Is uh, that my fault or your fault? Uh, okay, that's okay. <laughs> uh, touche, my friend. Touche. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think we've talked about yoga hosers before on the show. I think Kevin Smith with his mini sausage Nazis. Um, I can't remember what he calls them exactly in the, in the film, but um, those were definitely Charles band inspired. So I think those are kind of fun to look at. There's killer pinata from a few years ago uh, that 
people will probably enjoy if they like this subgenre. Right. Um, Dave mentioned Ginger Dead Man. I really like the killer gingerbread man in Krampus. I thought that was really yes. scary and well done. Yeah. And really, even the gingerbread men in Shrek movies are kind of scary. Like, if you watch the Shrek Halloween episodes that they do they're kind of these little anthology mm-hmm. halloween shows with the shrek characters there's one with the gingerbread man that's the zombie tale that's actually really well done like it's kind of freaky the way they huh. it scared my kids i remember when it first came on netflix i showed it to them and they were just at that age where we watch it and a couple of them got significantly freaked out yes <laughs> did you guys ever see the movie may i love that movie a lot uh came out in 2002 I, I can never understand the fascination with it really i've tried to watch it three or four times and i appreciate lucky mckee but i just i don't know that for some reason it was angela bettis's performance i think is i just i love that movie but she she has a doll that she sort of communicates with it's not so much that it's a killer doll scenario but it's just there's something about it that's just sort of creepy and it's a it's a element of the movie kind of like what you brought up with like deep red or saw that isn't necessarily what the movie's about but it's definitely uh part of it doll movies are not necessarily my thing i i understand as i've said many times why they're creepy they do creep me out but just aesthetically they're not kind of i don't know i'm not it's gonna take a lot for me to want to go watch a creepy doll movie but i think we have to give a shout out to james wan with dead silence Mm -hmm. i think that was a very much overlooked film uh, that he made. And then also, I know Dave's not a huge fan of this one, but The Boy from 2016 right. by Brent W. Bell. I like um, a lot of it. I like. Yeah. I, I just didn't care for where it went, where it went at the end. I liked it. I remember liking it. Yeah. I will agree that the movie is is the doll itself and, and what happens, It it's effective. I mean, it's effectively creepy. Yeah. I just want to give Brent a shout out. His friend of the show, he's been on our horse and a mortgage jury mm-hmm. a few times. But for my money, the best child's play tiny terror that's been done in years. Child's play. Maybe ever, in my opinion. Child's play. No. To attack the block from 2011, the monsters in that are so good. They call them wolf apes, kind mm-hmm. of in the in the context of the story, but they're aliens. Their creature design is some of the coolest creature design I think I've ever seen in a movie. Oh, yeah. I love the, the way they look. It's awesome. That is awesome. I actually, I really like Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, too. Both both of them, the, the yeah, 70s TV movie and the 2010 uh, produced by uh, Del Toro. Mm-hmm. I like them both. And I think that the uh, the creatures in those are pretty good because they talk. They lure you in. They try to they try to talk to you before, um, and then you finally release them, and then all hell breaks loose. So These are goofy films that are definitely more on the comedy spectrum, but... For my money, they're far better than any full moon feature. I really enjoy Bad Milo and Hell Baby. They're ridiculous movies, but they're Hmm. fun and funny. I kind of like them, especially Hell Baby. I don't know what it is about that movie, but I enjoy it a great deal. I still haven't gotten to see Bad Milo. And I I just every time I've watched the trailer for that thing, I think this literally is the perfect movie for me but every time i try to say to my wife hey honey can we please watch the one about the ass demon she shuts me down every single time i can't imagine why i don't know with, with a I don't description get it. like that i know i'm like come on i want to watch it's someone to say that it's good I, I will say as someone who even enjoys the movie it's not a good movie but okay. i think if you can appreciate tiny terrors generally if you like more than 10 percent of the movies that we're talking about you're going to like bad milo as well so I'm saying, I feel like it was it was just 
totally made with my mindset in mind. Hmm. All right. So as we bring the theme discussion to an end, you can uh, agree that you're now more on my side, that Tiny Terrors rule. And uh, you're happy we finally, (laughs) finally covered them. And in what is obviously part one of a multi-part themed episode. You know, Um, (laughs) no comment on that. If if that's where it's going to lead. Okay. 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 I think it's fun. I think there are fun movies to discuss. Yeah. I just am not a huge fan of any of them. So that's what's been the thing holding me back all this time. But I... I'm noticing a theme that's developing, and I realize none of our uh, October episodes have come out yet, so I'm going to have to talk around this idea. But every time I bring up certain ideas in movies, one of the two of you refers to it as quote unquote fun. (laughs) And and again, I just I feel like I'm getting the sort of the metaphoric pat on the head like, oh, no, those are fun movies, Joel. Those are fun movies. They're fun. They're so fun. We like them, too. And we sort of roll our eyes as we're looking away. Yeah. I mean, I think all three of us appreciate schlock. I would probably the least of the three of us, but we all appreciate it to some degree. I think we yeah. all, none of us hate comedy horror. No, but you know, nope. I just think, I don't know. There's something. I mean, Is I, it weird that I don't really think of a lot of it as schlock? <laughs> like I'm not watching it. Ironically, there, that's weird. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of weird. weird. If you don't think of demonic toys as schlock, then yeah, <laughs> that's a little weird. I guess, but I don't know. There's certain movies that I, I just, they have this endearing quality to me and I just don't, I'm not watching them ironically. I'm not like, <laughs> no, I mean, I legit like them. Mm-hmm. So there's probably <laughs> another half dozen to a dozen movies on our list that we came up with in our research that we didn't get to during our theme discussion. We will put all of those in the show notes at horrormoviepodcast.com. We'd also love to hear from you which tiny terror movies you think we missed and uh, let us know what some of your favorites are in the comments section at horrormoviepodcast.com. I want to know if there's anyone out there who has seen this 2017 film, Inhumanwitch. Hmm. About a killer manwitch meal. (laughs) I'm beginning to think, though, to be fair, I'm beginning to think that my my love for a lot of the uh, Tiny Terror movies might be also directly correlated to my love of retro movies because I will say that after going uh, through my Amazon list of because I you know when we'll get to obviously uh, our Annabelle discussion in a little bit here but when I after you know they do that oh you might also want to watch blah 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 and I went through a whole lot of those I was like mm, mm, no 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 and so th- <laughs> there, there may be a certain nostalgic connection to a lot of these Oh, for sure. I also want to say I really actually do love Troll and Troll 2 as mm. as bad as it is. I've I've come to love it and mostly because of the unmissable documentary Best Worst Movie. Yes. Make sure you check out that doc if you haven't seen it yet. It is a great double feature with Troll 2. It is. It is fantastic. I'm a big fan of Troll. I I am and I, again Charles Band, but there and there's comedy there, but there's interesting characters. Everybody's insane except for like the little boy and there's uh, someone upstairs uh, in this uh, sort of apartment complex. You mean the little boy named Harry Potter? (laughs) Yes, J.K. Rowling. We know where you got that idea from. Just kidding. Right, exactly. Saw trolls, but there's a scene in that movie where the, the trolls have a little musical number and I'm sitting there watching going, am I really watching this? This is because it was actually kind of cool. The, the the trolls having this little this little musical this little medley I should say that uh, yeah. that they're performing. I like troll. I did. I enjoy troll. 
Yeah. And if you're watching a movie to laugh at, I think that extra meta layer of someone going, Harry Potter Jr. Actually, it's, <laughs> it's actually Julia Louis-Dreyfus saying that. Yes, that's right. right. Harry right. Potter Jr. Yes. <laughs> and did John Carl Beekler direct that? I know he did the effects. I actually have been meaning to bring this up on the show for last several months since he passed away. But uh, I'm a big fan of his work. And uh, I believe he directed Troll and mm. did the effects, if I remember correctly. Nice. Yeah, great movie. All right, so that wraps up our theme discussion on the classic Tiny Terrors. <laughs> and now we'll go into our feature review of Dolls from 1987. It looked like a safe haven from the raging storm. Where'd your folks get it from, Boris Karloff? Their hosts seemed like the essence of hospitality. You can stay here as long as you like. Wonderful. But appearances can be very deceiving. What's the matter? Afraid of the dog? Mom, yeah. are you scared? Well, of course not. What's there to be afraid of? This house. Oh, don't be. <laughs> you like toys. <laughs> I'm a doll maker. <laughs> I make the most wonderful toys. Dolls, puppets, soldiers, ballerinas. Nobody wants a doll that's special anymore, that's one of a kind. The weather brings out creativity. It helps me in my work. What kind of work is that? Witchcraft? Never too old to play with dolls until you're dead. Dolls. Okay, so Dolls is a 1987 production from Empire Pictures, aka Charles Band's uh, company pre Full Moon. It was directed by Stuart Gordon and written by Ed uh, Naha, I believe is how you pronounce it. It stars Ian Patrick Williams, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, who is actually the wife of Stuart Gordon. Uh, at least at the time, I haven't done my, re my, my research to know if they're still married. I, I hope they are. Um, it, uh, it's, it's got a relatively small cast, and it is a story about a, a little girl named Judy, Judy Bauer. Uh, her father, uh, played by Ian Patrick Williams, and her stepmother, played by uh, Carolyn Purdy Gordon, uh, are driving through the countryside. I don't know that they ever tell you that it's in England, but it, it definitely has that vibe. So I assume it that it, it, yeah. it has that uh, it has that feel. Um, and they run into uh, another character. Now I'm not sure that the steering wheels are on the other side of the car, so I don't know point. that it's England. But um, I think you know. Actually, now that you say that, I think it is because I think the stepmother is driving, and it is she's sitting on what we in oh, the states okay. would think of as the passenger side. So well, yeah, that's a go. good observation. There yes, you go. yes. All right. 
Yes. So yeah, as you're saying, like they're they're driving along and they go by a couple of uh, presume you know hitchhikers, uh, girls that are dressed like uh, uh, Madonna devotees of the time, right? Mm-hmm. And they and they leave them there, and of course you know, the immediate uh, bad blood between the, the the two groups, the family and these hitchhikers. And long story short, storm clouds develop. The father and the stepmother both are being very short with the little girl in the back, and they're they're obviously not very nice to her. They don't even really want her there and their car gets stuck in the mud during the storm and they realize they need to seek refuge and in classic horror movie slash dark fairy tale fashion they seek refuge in this old dark mansion nearby now first they think the place is abandoned and when they break in uh for you know just just basically get out of the storm they notice that it's just the, the room that they're in is in the basement area and it's just packed with dolls, doll parts and all, all pieces of dolls. Well, it turns out it's not an abandoned home. It's actually owned by Gabriel and Hillary, played by Guy Ralph and Hillary Mason. And they are an elderly couple. And at first, you know, there's this tension because, you know, he's got a shotgun <laughs> on, on the people right. that have uh, on the family. And but right. they ended up end up realizing, oh, OK, these people are OK, mainly because they have this little girl. And it mm-hmm. turns out that uh, Gabriel is a toy maker and he loves toys and he loves children. And he uh, you know brings them in because of the little girl and wants to give her a gift. And he gives her uh, her name is Judy. So he gives her a punch doll like for the punch and Judy puppet. So then uh, while they're there, ta- you know, talking to Gabriel and Hillary, uh, the uh, the aforementioned Madonna fans show up. And now they're in the company of Ralph, uh, played by Stephen Lee, who had picked them up. And they, under the same circumstance, presumably got stuck uh, due to the weather. And now all of these people are stuck in this old house together. Now, it's called Dolls. <laughs> I will say it's a movie that is maybe my favorite Stuart Gordon movie. And yes, I'm including Reanimator in that, which I love. I love Reanimator. But there is something about this movie, and it's so not like other Stuart Gordon things. Of course, you could say that about uh, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, too, as well, because I know he wrote that. But uh, <laughs> you know, there, this, this, though, of all of his other horror-specific movies, this is got this interesting like whimsical fairy tale quality to it mm-hmm. and there's something about the dolls in this because as the story progresses obviously things start happening with the dolls and they definitely play up the idea of okay did i see something move did i not at first eventually though you finally do really get to see them in their full glory and they are creepy <laughs> Yeah, and fairly good special effects, all they things considered, really, for, really the, are. for the time period. Absolutely, you know? absolutely. Now, I didn't come to this movie until later in life. I was probably, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, in my early 30s, maybe even, before I finally saw it, maybe late 20s, early 30s, somewhere in there. And I just, I fell in love with it. I loved it. And I've watched it several times since. And even on this rewatch, I watched it a couple of days ago, I was just struck, first off, it's a very short tight story like it's just very simple it is a fairy tale and i loved that there's such a simplicity to the morality of the whole thing that there's no um sort of twist and i don't want to give anything away obviously but there's no sort of idea of you you characters that are seemingly quote unquote bad aren't really (laughs) in a way i mean i guess it's it's sort of like i i don't know help me out with this dave it's sort of like they're trying to determine uh, you know, 
the the good people it's, it's, from the bad people. It's adults who have lost their way and and lost track of of or lost connection with their childhood selves are considered. Um, I guess the wrong one, you know, they're, they're the bad ones in this movie. The ones who are more innocent and childlike, including yes. the actual child. Yes. Are seen in a different light, especially in this environment. Sure. And, and I think that like a good fairy tale, which at the end of the day, fairy tales are very, you know, black and white, good versus evil. I mean, there, there's no gray in it. In a sense, this movie's the same way that right. you know, the stepmother, for instance, the way she treats Judy is just, you know, classic fairy tale depiction of that. Um, the uh, the idea of these uh, other other people that show up with with Ralph because Ralph is sort of the the man child <laughs> uh, that right. we're referring to in that he's the closest to still being in touch with his childhood self and there's you know and as a result of that there's implications made and, and suggestions made of a untoward and uh, put potentially illegal nature, especially yes. uh, as in regards to young Judy. But what I mm -hmm. like about this movie is it's not like that at all. Like it never goes there. It never really, you know, it's, there's an innocence to it in an odd way. Yes. And especially with the Ralph character, I thought, which yes. was interesting. He's, he's, um, you know, the, the little girl is going to be innocent. Uh, she's of that age, but the Ralph character, uh, reaches there he doesn't he doesn't necessarily believe everything at you know all at once but he does become a compatriot um, yes and it was an interesting sort of teaming i think uh especially for a movie uh of this type to, to have a young child teaming up with uh with an older adult who she just met yes and for it to stay innocent, like there was, it was never, it's never done in this way that makes you feel creepy. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's never it's, like icky. Yeah. yeah it's, never. it's never and, like you're thinking, oh, this is, you know, something exactly. wrong with this. And it, is, and it doesn't do that other thing that unfortunately I think happens to a lot of older movies where at the time, I don't think they thought through how something would be perceived <laughs> maybe. And so right. it comes across like, yeah, you guys, I really, you weren't aware of how that comes at plays now, but this movie doesn't do that. And as a result, though, that because of that level of innocence, when the violence happens and out, out, without giving anything away, let's just say there's moments when the dolls attack and there's a, a scene especially involving a hacksaw. Mm. <laughs> and it's almost as bad with the sound as it just is with what you realize is happening. It's right. brutal. I mean, when it happens, it is brutal. Now, apparently... There was, I guess, when they first, when they originally made this movie, I believe he shot Stuart Gordon made this before he made From Beyond, but From Beyond mm -hmm. actually came out first, mainly because they spent a year doing the doll effects in this movie. Right. So, wow. as a result, you know, the, again, I think the effects are tremendous. I mean, even by today's standards, it's obviously a lot of stop motion. Mm -hmm. But the stop motion just it's really fluid. It's very it's, fluid. It, it's 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 like on a level of a Ray Harryhausen, yes. where it's very fluid, and these yep. things do have personality, and it adds such an uncanny nature to it. It it feels it it feels like okay, if you're not going to get them moving just like normal, that it adds this dreamlike, creepy vibe to the mm -hmm. whole thing. So yes. Anyway, the when the violence does break out, though, it is. Pretty graphic and intense, but apparently not as graphic as it originally was because supposedly there was some footage shot because they felt like it wasn't, it didn't go far enough, especially, you know, being that you know, here's from the director of Reanimator and from beyond, there's going to be an expectation, yes, <laughs> I, I think, right. from the audience. So they added several things, but I guess in the end, when they put the whole thing together, they determined 
that it was it just didn't fit the tone of right. the movie it's very interesting that that uh, you said that that they had added scenes that they ended up not putting in the movie is uh three minutes under 80 minutes like 77 minutes or mm-hmm. something like that it's just a little over an hour 15 it goes by quickly and it flows well you know the, yeah. the, the way that this is put together but it is a, a very sort of breezy watch it's it's not going to require much time to sit yeah. down and watch dolls uh, which I thought was interesting because it doesn't necessarily feel like an hour and 15. It feels like there is a lot happening mm-hmm. in the film. And I could have easily said, oh, this is probably like an hour and a half, hour 35, something like that, because there is, they've packed a lot into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're saying that they actually shot extra scenes and then ended up not using them. It's yes. a little surprising. Yeah. And apparently one of those scenes involved someone having their intestines spilled. Uh, <laughs> so, so I guess they felt like, I oh, see. Man. Yeah, that might be a bridge too far. Uh, but yes. I, I, but it's funny because watching it again, there are a couple of key scenes of this that are pretty brutal. And, and I think it really gives credence to that idea where people say, well, yeah, if a bunch of little dolls came around me, I'd be able to just do this. No, it's sort of like the, the slow zombie argument. Oh, yeah, slow zombies. I could just run outrun them. Yeah, until you've got so many surrounding you that yes. there's no way out. There were there are there are hundreds and hundreds of dolls that yes. seem to come out of the come out of every corner of that uh, of that mansion. Yeah, definitely. And also, once some of them are taken out, there's a sort of break in the doll, and you get to see the oh, inner workings. yes, yes, of a lot of them. And what's really interesting in in some of the trivia is, uh, I guess, according to the backstory of this, they they really did their their work of trying to come up with a, a bit of backstory, but. They came up with the idea that those there are some of these that have, uh, let's just say, an organic connection and or, or organic mm-hmm. nature, as, as you alluded to, Dave, but that some of them are intended to be literally like fairies and elves uh, of right. you know of actual you know folklore, and and right. that and that and that there's certain ones that are are maybe created more like by witchcraft, and so it is kind of cool how you have this dynamic of there's almost like different factions within the doll world itself right. built within this house. Plus it's, you very, have the, it's very mixed. It's a, it's sort of a, sort of a mixed world yes, where you it, have artificial yeah. living with what maybe was once living. Yeah. And plus you have the added benefit of the trapped in a creepy old mansion, a la ready, ready or not. Like what we, we talked about that, yep. or, or, mm-hmm. you know, or clue, you know, that kind of vibe where you're in this yes. old mansion during a stormy night kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's got that kind of oddly cozy <laughs> vibe to right. the whole thing. So yeah, right. I love this movie. It is a lot of fun. It, every time I see it, I enjoy it. It never lets me down. Like, you know, some movies you revisit, you're like, yeah, it was fun. I remember I liked that scene, that scene. No, this movie, pretty much from beginning to end, I just really enjoy it. It does have a few moments of humor in it, but, and I'm particularly thinking of a scene involving a bear, and I think you might know what I'm referring to. Yes. Uh, very yes, early I on do. in the movie. But I think a lot of that is meant to be, you're sort of seeing things through the POV of the kid, so it makes mm-hmm. sense within that context. But, Overall, this movie to me is a standout as especially as killer doll movies go. It's one of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I will always put, you know, Child's Play up there at the top. I know that uh, both Dave and Wolfman agree 100 percent with me on that one. Uh, but yeah. no, <laughs> but, uh, the first Child's Play, I yes. do agree. Yes. I, I do agree. I, I think absolutely. Oh, wait, but, the first child's play? No, I don't agree. No. Oh, God. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> but but Dolls, which, uh, Wolfman, uh, you, you have not seen Dolls? 
I have not seen dolls. I would love for you to see dolls. I know. I think you would appreciate it because I think there's elements to it that you would like beyond the killer doll aspect of it. I just I feel like there's things about the look and the feel and certain things about the world and the story. I think you'd really appreciate. And again, uh, John Carl Beekler, who we mentioned earlier from uh, the original Trolls. He was the uh, special effects supervisor mm. on this on this movie. So yeah, he did a great job. He really oh, did. It's so good, so good. Play Everybody what? did a great job. I'm open to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you're open to it. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really would. I would love to hear your. I would, let me put this. Way. I'd much rather you watch this than Hobgoblin. <laughs> let me just put it that <laughs> okay. way. So, uh, but yeah, for me, Dolls is. I, I'm gonna say it. It's a. It's a nine out of ten. I love this movie. I say Whoa. it's. Yeah, I know. I know it's it's an own it. There is a collector's edition from Shout Factory. Oh, nice. That's a the, probably a good one to pick up. Yeah. So, you know, what's hilarious. Mm. I think I just pulled a Dave Becker. I think I may already have this. <laughs> I'm looking at the cover because <laughs> I watched it. I, watched, I, I was in a hurry to watch it. And I was like, OK, I'll just do it streaming. And, and, and I watched it on uh, Amazon and rented it. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm looking at this cover going, that looks really familiar. That Shout Factory cover. I'm like, oh, I think I actually have this sitting in my. Uh, never mind. <laughs> well, if you're gonna if you're gonna go, you might as well go the whole way and buy it again. Yeah, there you go. I really should go full uh, DVD infatuation and have two copies yeah. of it. <laughs> buy it again, and then when you go to put it up in the alphabetical order, you say, "Oh, there's one sitting there already." Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, for me, it is a nine, and uh, obviously, it's a buy. What do you say, Dave? You know, it's it's not my favorite Stuart Gordon film. Okay, um, I can think of three actually that that I would put above it, but. It is, like I said, it's 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 a breezy sort of easy watch. It's not a, a big investment of time, and it does tell an interesting story. It does have a fairy tale like quality to it, uh, with violence. With this, with this, you know, it's it's not a, but it's not really geared toward kids. Mm-hmm. You almost feel like with some of the characters, there are there is a cartoonishness to them, but. Not that it's going to detract. I didn't think it detracted from the movie. It is fairly easy to figure out at the beginning who's going to be left at the end and who's not going to be left at the end. Yes. Uh, But it's, no, I I enjoy it. And I would say it's a 7.5 and I'd say it's a definite rental uh, to to check it out. And it might be one you might want to, you know, watch again. So it might be worth picking up. Especially if Shout Factory has a uh, has a Blu-ray release of it, that that would be pretty cool. I think the the DVD itself does have a few special features. I didn't really check them out, but I know that uh, Shout Factory and Scream Factory do an awesome job of uh, of putting these uh, things together. So that might be one worth uh, checking out if you decide you want to purchase it. All right, so that wraps up our review of Dolls. Now we're going to move to our feature review for Annabelle Creation. After our daughter died, my husband created the doll. We thought it would bring happiness. We were wrong. June has found this doll. It's coming after my soul because I'm the weakest. Let's play hide and seek. We'll come look for you. and audiences agree. Annabelle? Annabelle Creation is one of the best entries in the Conjuring universe. In this house, they feel a presence. An evil one. 
It's wickedly fun. <laughs> Terrifying. <laughs> the year's scariest film. <laughs> Annabelle Creation. Rated R. All right. Annabelle Creation 2017. Uh, the uh, part of the Conjuring universe. And the second Annabelle film, I, I have to admit, I never have seen the first Annabelle. Neither. I've not seen it, but I guess to see Annabelle creation, it's not a, important to have seen the first Annabelle. You can almost get what you're going to need from that opening of The Conjuring. Well, this is a prequel to both of those. So yeah, yeah. you don't need to have seen anything else in order to watch this. No, but I, I mean, I, I do remember this, and it is an awesome way that they opened The Conjuring with the story of Annabelle. I did Absolutely. like that. I thought it was excellent. Yeah. Uh, but as, as you said, this takes you back to uh, what year is it? It's in the 40s. I know it's, it starts in the 1940s. There's a doll maker. Uh, Samuel and his wife, something happens to their seven-year-old daughter, Annabelle, uh, something tragic. And she, she ends up, uh, she ends up dying in a very disturbing scene. I thought, um, just for the, the way it played out, jump forward to the mid 1950s. The Mullins open their home to a, uh, orphanage, uh, that, that is looking for a new home. So these, uh, orphans, go to the house and they take up residence there along with sister Charlotte, who is their overseer. One of the girls, Janice, she uh, is slightly disabled as a little bit of a hard time walking around from polio as a child. She is sort of drawn into this house and she gets a note um, one night and then she ends up sneaking into Annabelle's old room, even though the father had said, Hey, never go in there. She finds a key. She opens a closet, and in this closet is a porcelain doll sitting in a chair surrounded by pieces of paper taped all over the wall. Well, Janice should have never opened that door. And from that point forward, we learn about the origin of Annabelle. And it is along the lines of what is related at the beginning of The Conjuring. But we get to see it all play out with these orphans. Uh, the movie is, there are some really interesting decisions the director made in this. There's one scene in particular that goes from like the sort of closing in on a dark closet and the camera spins around and the next thing you know, it's looking up a well. I thought that was such a cool shot. And I think this movie has several of those. It, it seems to be very, you know, the, the direction in that regard or, or the, the camera work seems is really impressive. Also, I like that they had it. The, the, the characters that are sort of being put in peril are it's an orphanage. It's, it's an orphanage of, of, of these girls, various ages. And it seems to be the younger ones that are sort of pulled into the whole thing and are, are forced to deal with it and um, suffer the brunt of what's happening. Uh, there are some, you know, sort of typical, I want to say, jump scares in a way there are certain things that as they're playing out you say well i kind of know where this is going but i think the doll is creepy enough and i know it's not the real annabelle doll and i think it's interesting that there is a moment when you get to see what is supposedly the real annabelle doll <laughs> but the way things sort of play out and the setting i really like that setting it's it's a big house but it's in the middle of like nowhere and just beautiful countryside all around it 
and yet these horrific things are, are, are happening there. I did like this one. Again, I haven't seen the first Annabelle. I haven't heard great things about it, and that might be why I've avoided it. But I did enjoy uh, Annabelle creation. I liked uh, how it uh, gave us the idea of what this doll really, really is and, and just how vicious it can be that, that it, it set these, what it did to these parents um, in, in, in sort of giving them this false hope. And uh, yeah, I, I did enjoy it. Nice. We probably should have reviewed Annabelle Comes Home since that's the newer film, but I thought this was a safer bet. You know, you mentioned this is the second Annabelle film. It's also the second film of David F. Sandberg, who directed Lights Out, which I, you know, I thought he did a great job with that. And yeah. So it was nice to see him get a studio film. Of course, he went on to do Shazam after this, which I thought he just completely crushed. He did such a good job with Shazam. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought this was so much better than the first Annabelle. I think it really s makes a case for expanding the Conjuring universe in a way that I don't think many of the other films have. You know, I think mm -hmm. this really more than any of the others says, okay, yeah, we can take those little stories that are hinted at in the Conjuring films and really run with them. And there's a lot uh, that we can do with them. Annabelle Comes Home looks even more exciting to me. I have not had a chance to see it yet, but I'm looking forward to checking that one out as well. Right. I haven't seen that one either. So for me, I went into this because like you, Dave, I had not seen the original and I had heard not very good things about it. So like, like you, I just had avoided it. And it occurs to me that other than uh, Conjuring 1, Conjuring 2, I don't know that I've really seen any of the spinoff movies now that i think about None. it nope haven't seen it yet mainly because of you guys and all the all the jump scare talk <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> yeah i was good because again it's like i i appreciate the conjuring movies for what they are i like them and i love a good ghost story but i, I don't know and i think you guys touched on this quite a bit during your the nun review which is all of these movies, they have such a similar, it's almost like they're, I don't know if you're going to call it their James Wan-ness. <laughs> like they, mm -hmm. they all have a similar kind of look and feel. And I get what they're trying to do. They're they're trying to have an aesthetic that sort of ties all those movies together. But I just, I, I don't necessarily need that in all of them. And I, it doesn't work for me that much now. For this one, and I think it's because Sandberg is really establishing himself as a director who has a you know very specific vision and i would say from what i've seen without having actually seen those other movies yet this one yes annabelle's in it but i think the look and the feel of it could have stood on its own like it doesn't there are moments that mm -hmm. have that conjuring universe vibe to them but it, it definitely feels like something unique unto itself um, right. i can't speak to the other two annabelle movies because again i haven't seen them yet well, I mean, I think Corinne Hardy, who directed The Nun, is another really strong filmmaker. His movie The Hollow is one of my favorite films yes. of the year came out. Hollow's and amazing. I think, yeah, I, I was disappointed with that film, but I I think it had potential as well. And I don't know exactly what happened with it, but I think he is a director that also has vision um, beyond just trying to ape what James Wan's doing with the Conjuring movies. I think they really are going for directors who are kind of in the place Juan was when he started his career. They were scrappy and had sure. made a name for themselves doing independent stuff first. 
Yeah, and I, and I guess the question is, I don't even think of it as necessarily the filmmaker's fault in this scenario. I have a feeling it's probably a mandate that <laughs> they're being told. You know, like this a is studio the, thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it is. Mm-hmm. I think we want them to have the look and the feel of this. These are sort of the the benchmarks, and we need everything to sort of go against these. So, and and I and I get that the you know especially the first two Conjuring movies, and I mean with the Nun was extremely successful as well, right? So I get the thought process behind that. I just know for me. It's sort of there's certain looks and feels and uh, qualities that horror movies get after a certain period of time that just, you know, they get exhausting. They just get boring. You just get kind of tired of seeing the same thing over and over again. I will say with this movie, there was a, a little bit of that. But overall, I was very pleasantly surprised by it. I also liked that since this is the establishment of that doll, it doesn't yet have that. Re- I mean, it's creepy looking. But it, at least on some level, I could say, okay, I guess I could see why a kid in the 40s would want this thing. Because I don't know if you guys have ever just Googled creepy pictures, you know, uh, from the 40s or, the you know, the people from you know, Halloween from those, that time period or or just toys that they'd have. Some of those things are really creepy. <laughs> and, you're, and you're thinking, <laughs> right. who would buy that for a kid? But yet the, the Annabelle doll itself, especially as we see it in The Conjuring and presumably in the first Annabelle film, it's so jacked up looking <laughs> from the word go that I think right. who would have that thing in their house come on but at least <laughs> this version of it it has I guess the evil or whatever it is hasn't so pervaded it that it, that it doesn't show it on its face quite yet so I, I did I like that that it again looked like a doll that a, a kid would possibly have from that time period but what I also mm-hmm. liked was uh, Dave I believe you brought it up about that idea of how the thing that, yeah, I don't want to say this without giving anything away, but the thing that has sort of attached itself to Annabelle, how it has pervaded the lives of the people in the story and how it's such a, you know, no pun intended, insidious way to do things. And it feels demonic. Like it feels like just such a, a creepy thing to do. And then the, the a lot of the stuff that happens with the girls and I thought that the all the acting by the way the the kid actors everybody just really stand out I mean yeah. I, I think Sandberg now it's because even in Lights Out you had a kid actor right so I feel mm-hmm. like all of his movies he's shown a real affinity uh, maybe even like uh, early Spielberg to just getting really good performances out of kids right. so uh, or even Shyamalan I mean because I think Shyamalan was really good at that and honestly all the way up to the visit I think he did great with that as well so the point is I, I just that was a, I think a real stellar point of this movie though I will say this movie had and it works for me I like it but but I call them you know the oh hey Hell no. Kind of moments where characters will just, let's say, sit uh, in, a, in a chair facing a... Staring into the darkness. Dark, and, yeah, and, an open yes. door. You know what I'm talking about. And I think to myself, yes. I am a 43-year-old man, okay? I'm a hair over six feet, and I'm about 200 pounds. You couldn't pay me enough after everything I, that character saw to do that. And that no. character... Is not even, you know, I, I just, I'm thinking there's no way. And especially if I was a kid. Oh, no, 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 no. Now, maybe it's just me. I'm just a, you know, just a big chicken. I don't know. I'm just telling you, knowing what, what that character knows at that point has been going on. You just, you couldn't pay me enough. You oh, could. The door would have been closed. I'm with you. I'm saying, why is that door open staring into the darkness? Exactly. I, I'm with you with that, at that moment. I, I thought the same thing. And I, I will admit, I probably am a chicken when it comes to these <laughs> ghostly sort of tales. Uh, 
And there's no way I would have let anybody put me in a room by myself. First oh, off, no, 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 no. If, if I got to get a harness and hang from the ceiling, I'll be in the room where everybody else is. And and again, you could go to the idea that you know you have characters that go into a room they're not supposed to go into, and especially after some of the things they see, they'll go back into that room. And you're thinking, really, you you really you're really gonna do? It? But again, I I guess when the character is of a certain age. I cut them far more slack, you know, than, mm-hmm. than if they're an adult. You're thinking, okay, if it's an adult, yeah, yeah, you're just an idiot. A little right. kid, I guess I kind of understand it. But even then, I think to myself as a kid, and again, maybe it was just me. I it was just a scaredy cat. I don't know, but there's no way. <laughs> there no way for me either. No way. Nope, I agree. But again, I was really just impressed with the look, the sort of tone of the movie. And on the direction and the camera work, I thought, you know, they, they found an awesome location that at first glance does not look to be. I mean, if you think about it, the one in Dolls, as you're walking toward it in a storm, that's going to creep you out. Sure. This looks like these girls would, and then they show that scene where they're excited to be there. This is mm-hmm. like an idyllic sort of uh, house in the middle of nowhere and then the it beautiful is. scenery all around it. And um, for something like that to play out there that was kind of an interesting choice as well that that they went with a place that just looks awesome i mean everybody would look at it and say boy i'd love to own this house mm-hmm. yeah and i also think that uh anthony lapaglia and miranda yeah. Otto as the couple that yeah. whose home it is and whose little whose uh, little girl uh has the exit you were by the way you hit the nail on the head dave i don't know what it is about that type of scenario i mean well, i know what mm-hmm. it is it's called i have kids and that is right. horrifying but it was so masterfully done Mm-hmm. because it goes back to that what you see versus what you don't see right <laughs> it, it's upsetting it was you know very upsetting i mean you know something's right. going to happen it's one of the few mike flanagan movies i haven't seen but he did the uh, second ouija film right and mm-hmm. i know most people have said that the first one is really not good and then he took it to another level with the second one and i feel like that's what happened here that yeah first animal movie great comparison yeah. in terms yeah. of original ouija to flanagan ouija yeah yeah, because mm-hmm. I mean, because not often can you say that a sequel, well, I guess in this case, prequel, but a, a sequel is as good or better, certainly better than the original. But it seems that in, in both this case and the case with Ouija, that is what's going on. here. Well, didn't they do that with Ouija, too? They, they made it a prequel. Oh, that's right. It was. Yes. Yep. yep. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, you guys want to do our, our ratings and recommendations then for sure. Annabelle creation. So, Dave, do you want to? give your rating and review, right? Um, I'm going to say an eight. Okay. And I'm going to say it's it's worth a rental. And I and you don't need to have seen the first Annabelle, obviously. Or I guess even The Conjuring, the opening uh, scene from The Conjuring to uh, to figure out what's going on and to in, uh, you know to enjoy this film. So it's an eight and a, a, I'd say a high priority rental. Definitely. Yeah, for me, it's actually, I fluctuated between a 7.5 and an eight, Dave. But you know what? I love these movies. I don't care. I'm going to say an eight. Plus, I like Sam Berg a lot. I thought Shazam was fantastic. And I love right. Lights Out as well. I mean, right. I, I yeah, do too. Was, it was a fun movie. So, uh, yeah, I'm going to say this is an eight. I almost wonder if I would have appreciated this even more had I seen <laughs> the first Annabelle when it came out, just mm-hmm. based on everything I've heard. But, yeah, for you know, it is one of these movies where it is just fun. There are jump scares, but there's enough of that sort of creeping uh just uh suggestive moments uh there's a, a coming to mind a scene with a bunk bed and yes. that mm-hmm. and, and that very much actually reminds me back to my earlier mortimer snurd story like that is the ultimate 
terrifying moment of you're going to just you look down at that spot that's against the wall that little crevice when you're in the top bunk and something's staring up at you that that yes. is literally i might just have complete and utter just heart failure right there at the age of nine and just i mean that would be it so it has right. those kind of moments throughout it which i really appreciated and even when things get sort of over the top wacky <laughs> by the end of it it never felt like it went off the rails it never felt right. like it lost that so yeah for me it's an eight and i say high priority rental as well what about you josh yeah i reviewed this back on episode 133 a little more in depth um and i really enjoyed it back then and i and i still like it i gave it a 7.5 at the time and called it a high priority rental i think i've become such a big fan of the conjuring universe now again it is still just those two conjuring films that i'm a fan of <laughs> but i i love the world so much that i feel like depending on what my reaction is to annabelle comes home i could really see myself buying this in the future i don't own it currently but um I love that Annabelle comes home, ties the Warrens into the tale. And so uh, I can, yeah, I can see myself wanting to kind of complete my collection with a film like this in the future. Awesome. All right. So that is Dave's feature review of Annabelle creation. And now we're going to go into Wolfman Josh's feature review. I had intended to feature review ghoulies because when I think of tiny terrors, honestly, the first image that comes to mind is a ghoulie coming out of a toilet. That's just how, <laughs> what I think of. And so I thought, okay, I've got to, uh, I've got to review this film. And I had, this is a movie I had not seen since I was in my mind. I saw this when I was probably eight to 10 years old. Ghoulies. It was definitely like critters. One of those movies, it was just, in my subconscious that I was scared of. I remember years sitting on the toilet and thinking about a ghoulie popping up, you know, uh, <laughs> disrupting my private time. Be, yeah. That could be, a, that could be a little, uh, disturbing a little bit. Yeah. So I have this memory of this movie that takes place in like a log cabin in the woods. And it's kind of like a Friday the 13th three situation, but there are these ghoulies that are in the house. And so I go and I watch this movie is <laughs> nothing like what I thought it was. I was like, wait, what? This is not, have I seen ghoulies? <laughs> I've had this experience a few times. I just talked about it with the fun house where I said during that review, it was like a first time watch. Well, I say that, but I, you know, vaguely remember plot points of the fun house. I remember certain images from the fun house. When I watched ghoulies, it was like, I have no idea what this is. This is what <laughs> ghoulies is. I think I had an alternate movie created in my mind that I just, I invented. I don't know where <laughs> that came from. I could have, I would have sworn up and down that not only had I seen ghoulies, but I could have given you a general description of what the movie was about. That's fine. So I was like, maybe I'm thinking of ghoulies too. So then I watched ghoulies too. And I was like, nope, never seen <laughs> this one either. But would you agree with me, Josh? Uh, Ghoulies 2, better than Ghoulies 1? Far better than Ghoulies 1. Thank you. Okay. Well, particularly just because of the Ghoulies. I mean, their yes. Ghoulies are barely in the first movie. Yes. Yeah, I don't, you know, they're like, they're kind of psychic. Now, now there was a cool, there were some cool moments. I mainly remember the woman's tongue. The woman's tongue. I made my dad turn it off. We, were, we rented it. Uh, one of my earliest video store memories, I remember going in armchair theater and it was the beta max wow. box for ghoulies but we ended up renting it on vhs because we didn't have betamax and uh i remember i got it and i got up to the point where the woman's giant tongue wraps around the guy's neck and i'm like i'm out i'm done and i had to have him turn it off i was terrified 
there are some cool moments where people's kind of lifeless bodies scuttle themselves across the floor. And I was really impressed. I was like, oh, they must have hired dancers to kind of pull off this <laughs> idea. Ghoulish 2, I enjoyed more. Uh, you know, the funhouse element is there. I would even say I potentially liked that movie. Then I watched Ghoulies 3, Ghoulies <laughs> Go to College, because I thought, surely <laughs> I didn't completely invent this movie in my brain. There must be a movie that matches what I'm thinking in my brain is Ghoulies. So I watched Ghoulies 3. No, I've never seen Ghoulies 3 before. <laughs> and as much as all of those tiny terror movies, it was very obvious to everyone watching that they came out the year after Gremlins. Watching Ghoulies 3, it's painfully obvious that that movie came out the year after Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because the Ghoulies suddenly triple in size and they start wisecracking, talking constantly over each other exactly like Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and they're in this college dorm setting. That movie is a lot more fun, I would say, than even Ghoulies 2. But the fact that the nature of the Ghoulies completely changes uh, is weird. Mm-hmm. And I definitely do not like the size of them in Ghoulies 3 as opposed to these little tiny squishy terrors that they are in the first two movies. I was prepared to come on here and do a full Ghoulies review, but then I have to give huge credit to our friend John. He's a listener of the show. He's also a writer and a podcaster. He blogs for John's Horror Corner over at moviesfilmsandflicks.com, and then he does the podcast over there as well, and he's always been a supporter of our show. And so we thank him for that. But he posts his blogs online often on Twitter. And I read his review for The Cleanse or The Master Cleanse, as it's alternately known. And I was like, holy crap, this sounds interesting. So I decided that instead would be my feature review today. So I am going to talk about The Cleanse. Are you searching for something? Wish you could restart. Well, now you can. Okay, everybody. Who's ready to change their lives today? Join us. Welcome. As you try a brand new program and face your demons today. Come on, let it out. What? Out. Thank you so much. And now, your cleansing kit. Each kit contains four drinks that you must consume by the end of the day. The next stage will be the elimination process. Question, when you say elimination process, you you mean like... (laughs) Yes, Eric. The cleanse you drank has expelled all the negativity from your life. Put it into what you see before you. Something came out of me. That's perfectly normal. What am I supposed to do? What the hell is that? You haven't seen your... I know this can be a scary process. You wouldn't believe what came out of me. Don't you want to get better? It was smaller at first. Once you finish this, will be a beautiful thing. Oh. 
Okay, The Master Cleanse, or The Cleanse, is a 2016 film directed by Bobby Miller, also written by Bobby Miller, and it stars Johnny Galecki, Anna Friel, Kyle Gallner. Uh, Gallner, you know, um, people would recognize from the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, or he was in uh, Kevin Smith's Red State. Angelica Houston has a role in this, as does Oliver Platt, who's one of my favorite actors kevin j o'connor is in this it's a really good cast diana bang is in it a little bit Uh, i really enjoyed the cast that additionally made me want to watch this one even more basically what happens is this is from the imdb premise heartbroken man attends a spiritual retreat to cleanse himself and fix his broken life there he meets a fellow lost soul and together they discover that the cleanse releases more than everyday toxins a lot more what it releases is a tiny little creature that uh, can potentially grow from being cute and adorable to monstrous and dangerous. The tagline for this film is we all have our demons, which I love that is a tagline. <laughs> this is, as John put it in his review, it's an extremely sincere movie and uh, it wasn't particularly horrifying, but I have to say it was the best tiny terror movie that I saw in preparation for this episode. I mean, I was really impressed with, um, the heart of this movie, uh, you know, I would say it crosses over, you know, it's listed on IMDb here as comedy, drama, fantasy. And I think that's fair. Um, I would probably uh, put drama, fantasy, horror, comedy, maybe in that order. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a film. It's a creature feature to be sure. It's not particularly scary, although there are a few scary moments. I think I would have enjoyed it more if they'd gone further with the scares, because I think their opportunity was there in the subject matter, but ultimately it's just kind of heartbreaking, and um, and at the end, I thought it was pretty inspiring, actually, so I, I thought it was a really sweet film, <laughs> if you <laughs> can say that about a movie about a little monster that you puke up out of your guts, and then you <laughs> then ultimately have to face in a confrontation. <laughs> I would say that this reminded me in that way of kind of like a bad Milo type of a film, but um, yeah, I don't know. I was, I found it very interesting. I love Johnny Galecki. I didn't realize until I was reading John's review that he was in the big bang theory. Cause I've never <laughs> seen that show. It's like number one show on television, I guess. But um, I just think of Johnny Galecki principally from Roseanne, but in terms of his film acting as an adult, I think of him from, I know you did last summer. Yep, and I always exactly. liked him in that film and he just has a small role, but extremely powerful to me in that movie and i've always wanted to see him in more horror movies and i man i really liked him in this movie i would love to see more of this guy <laughs> that was my experience with it what did you think dave you know i i went in and it, it's as it's as it's playing out uh what i thought was really interesting about it uh first off yeah I, johnny galecki did a good job and i i have seen the big bang theory uh, so he's not he's not playing totally against type here i mean Mm -hmm. in in the big bang theory he's sort of an awkward guy at least he was for at least the seasons i saw i haven't seen recent episodes of of big bang theory and and i always actually for me i always think of him as a kid from uh christmas vacation which is one of my favorite of course i didn't even think of that yeah yeah i played rusty it's one of my favorite holiday movies yeah watch it every year i I don't know how i forgot that that was him absolutely well he's a kid then he was a (laughs) kid then you you did say adult and his adult acting yeah to be fair he's what 13 or 14 in that movie is what he looks like so you're you're forgiven for that one exactly but he's an he's an interesting sort of character and as the movie's going along you think you've sort of worked out who, and villain might be too strong a word. You think you've sort of figured out who the good guys and the bad guys are, 
but you really haven't. And I kind of like that. I kind of like that, mm-hmm. that this, this, you know, whenever you get something in a movie, like an organization uh, promoting a cleanse or, you know, the, the, anything that could have cult like ramifications to it, you think you can figure it out pretty quickly. You couldn't right. figure this one out though, that you, you couldn't do that with this movie. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, the creatures themselves were interesting as well. Totally. And, and how they definitely connected to the individual who coughed them up, I guess the best way to put it. <laughs> and in that, in that regards, I'm glad we're not talking about bad Milo. Um, but, so the, the way it was constructed, yeah, it, it, I don't agree with you. It was sort of a sweet movie, not something that's going to give you nightmares, but it is something I think that's going to make you think. And yeah. I like that aspect of it. And yeah, I, I was glad that I had a chance to watch it. Yeah. I, I, felt, I felt it was kind of emotionally raw and which I, that's also kind of surprised me. You know, I, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that element of it. Yeah. It was nothing to scare you, but it is a cool creature feature. Uh, it is a tiny terror and it's an interesting movie. Like it's, it's just a really good movie. I think, and yeah. uh, I understand why horror fans overlooked it because there's not a lot of horror to it, but if you like general cinema, I think it's worth a watch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's not devoid. It's not devoid of horror. Right. It, it gets there at, at certain points. Yeah. There's a great scene where Johnny Galecki's character kind of surprises another character in their cabin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, that is the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> with uh, with the, the Kevin J. O'Connor characters. Kevin J. O'Connor. Who every time I see him, I think Benny from The Mummy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> every time. I've seen the guy in about a dozen things since then, but I always say, oh, it's Benny from The Mummy. <laughs> Well, Oliver Platt is someone I always think of from Flatliners, and he's been in a million movies, but for some reason, Flatliners is the one that's just completely cemented mm-hmm. in my brain. And it's like Placid for me. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. I need, I need to see this. I, I didn't get a chance to watch it. You said it was on uh, Hulu, right? It is on Hulu. Dave, you rented it on Amazon? It is on Amazon as The Cleanse, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, it is The Cleanse or The Master Cleanse, depending on where you find it. There is a short film Dave found called The Master Cleanse, it was just a 15 minute short. Is that right? Yeah. And I didn't bother. I, that's why I checked. I didn't see, I didn't watch it or anything. I just saw it on there and it is listed as comedy horror, the master cleanse, the 15 minute short. And that's why I checked with you. I said, this isn't the movie, isn't it? It turns out, no, it obviously was not. Right. Uh, but if you go on to uh, Amazon prime, yeah, beware of that. There is a movie called the master cleanse. It is a 15 minute short. And that's not obviously what we're talking about. I don't know that it's related. I don't know that it's not related to the cleanse, but right. Maybe it was the short that led to the feature. I don't know. But Possibly. yeah, I so I got Hulu so I could watch that uh, Blumhouse television series Into the Dark. And uh, so I still had it. So I thought, eh, I'll watch The Cleanse. And uh, that's where I got it. But yeah, definitely worth watching. It's uh, it's more touching than scary, but it is pretty raw. I, I like that about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the emotions and what it's dealing with definitely are. And Oliver Platt's character was very interesting, too. Mm-hmm. He, he, he's not there. He's not there much, but the, the scenes that you had with him, you're trying to figure this guy out, you know, yeah. and, and he, he could go from one line seeming like a, like a total jerk to someone who's really in touch with what's going on literally within a line uh, yeah. from one line to the next. You, you change your opinion of him. 
Yeah, I mean, I think what the movie does really well, what you kind of t- have touched on a couple times, is that for me, it really subverts your expectations of where it's going. So mm-hmm. y- it sets up all of these characters who are very familiar archetypes, be it in a slasher or in a cult movie, that you just kind of think you know exactly where all these characters are going. And then what the movie really does is like surprises you by grounding them and making them real people right. and making them complex and and kind of not as one-dimensional as you initially think they're going to be. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, for me, honestly, this is like a 9.5 out of 10 in terms of uh, a film. Wow. I love this movie. I mean, it's this is like one of my favorite types of films. So it's, again, not strong on the horror. I think if you're going in expecting a straight horror film, you're going to be very disappointed. But I think if you're going at it as just an interesting take on a creature film, you know what it kind of reminds me of? The other tiny terror, technically, uh, Earth to Echo, which is it's kind of more like E.T. ultimately than it is like anything else. That film is like a found footage alien movie, but it ends up feeling like you're watching a, a contemporary take on E.T. Uh, that's kind of how I felt about this. Like it's kind of it plays in the world of the types of movies we're talking about. But, you know, ultimately, it's kind of sweet and touching. Um, right. And, yeah, I really liked it. Nine point five out of ten. 9.5. Okay, I'm not going to be quite that high, but I'm not too far behind. I'm giving it an 8.5. And I'm think I'd call it a buy as well. Uh, there is a third character involved that I don't know if we ever got a handle completely on what was going on with that and then mm. with that character and then he's just sort of it just sort of drops off. I, uh, I feel like I know are you talking about the Kyle Gallner? Yeah. Character? Yeah. I think I think, again, that was supposed to subvert. That's kind of one of the characters I was talking about. It's subverting your expectations. I think we're supposed to think this guy's the jerk. His girlfriend is trying to fix him. And I think they they subvert your expectations of who these people actually are. Oh, yeah. Who's willing to kind of go there. And I agree. And I I agree. You, 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 You do have different feeling about him as the movie goes on. You know, you're thinking, okay, this guy's just sort of a cynic. You do feel differently about him as the movie goes on. But I just don't know that it just sort of dropped off, I thought. And I thought it yeah. could have been a very interesting thing to get to the bottom of his whole story, too. Yeah. I mean, I, ultimately, that's why I didn't come in at a full 10 out of 10, is I just felt like this movie could have gone further everywhere. Right. And the interesting thing about it is this director went on to make the new Critters movie, Critters Attack, oh, cool. in 2019. Very cool. So it's weird to me that you know, he had the kind of that horror movie in him and he didn't kind of go for it here, but it, you know, obviously they saw something in the cleanse that got him hired for critters attack. Mm-hmm. It also just funny to me that you make a film like this. That's so beautiful and not to diminish the quality of the critters franchise, but you make a film that's just really soulful. And then people are like, your reward for making that totally unique film is you get to make the 20th movie in a franchise. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, they did the same with a friend of the show, Chris Peckover. He made better watch out, which was just this incredible film. And then he got offered critters attack and turned it down. But it's just kind of like, it's so weird that that's the trajectory of a, of a career in Hollywood is make a really interesting, unique, thoughtful, independent film, get offered kind of a, garbage whoa <laughs> no sir <laughs> anyway it's weird though you have to admit that's a little strange like why not give that guy 10 million dollars and see what he can do that's what I, right. I would rather see i'd rather see that right 
All right. So that is Josh's feature review of The Cleanse. So now we're going to get Screaming Online. All right, welcome to our Shudder-sponsored Screaming Online segment. For those who don't know, AMC Network Shudder is a premium streaming video service where you can stream great thrillers, horror, and suspense films for the low, low costs of $5.99 per month or $56.99 per year. Shudder has the largest, fastest-growing, human-curated selection of thrilling and dangerous entertainment. That's why we call it the Netflix for Horror. You can stream Shutter on your Apple and Android devices, as well as Xbox, Roku, and more. Shutter currently has a bunch of exclusive content that is worth your time. They've got films like the new Eli Roth film, Haunt. They've got one of the best films of the year for my money, Tigers Are Not Afraid. I would highly recommend people check that one out. They've got a lot of great curated collections on Shudder, and one of those that I really enjoy here is a Shudder Halloween, where they've collected films for your Halloween season. They've got all three of the Hell House LLC movies in here, two of our favorite films from last year, Terrified and Satan's Slaves, one of my favorite films of all time, The Wailing, plus they've got the television series Channel Zero, which is something that uh, we all need to dedicate a lot more time to. To try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and use the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and use the promo code HMP. Now, tonight's film that I'm going to talk about, which is streaming on Shutter, is a tiny terror movie called Brain Damage. Have you guys seen Brain Damage? <laughs> I, I have seen Brain Damage. I have not seen it, I believe, since high school. This would have been, okay. I, I went on a run. This is Frank Hannon-Lauder, correct? That's right. And I saw Basket Case 1, 2, and 3. I was super excited about those. I read about brain damage in Fango, and I made sure I read it. So I I think I can safely say I was the only kid in my somewhat rural high school who saw <laughs> brain damage uh, shortly very, after it was released on video. <laughs> very nice. Yeah. I haven't seen it at all. But it's been a long time, to be fair. It's been, you know, what, pushing 30 years. I remember I liked it. Yeah. I mean, I would say brain damage feels like the master cleanse meets bad Milo, but in 1988 and on acid, mm -hmm. <laughs> that's kind of like what my experience was watching wow. it. Yeah. So uh, I'll read you just the IMDb synopsis here. It says one morning, a young man wakes to find that a small disgusting creature has attached itself to the base of his brainstem. The creature gives him a euphoric state of happiness, but demands human victims in return. So basically what you have is this young man, his name is Brian, played by Rick Hurst. He's asleep in his bed one night, and a, and a monster escapes from his neighbor's apartment. And it's clear from the beginning of the movie that uh, the people who have been caretaking the, for this monster uh, need whatever it is this monster is offering them very badly. Because they're very concerned when he's gone. And at first you think, oh, it's because it's a monster. No, it's because they need his juice. <laughs> and this is a disgusting little monster. It has kind of the texture of a human brain. Uh, it looks like the cross between a, a, a big piece of dog poop mixed with... Uh, phallic symbol? <laughs> yeah, a phallic symbol is, is a 
probably a better word than I was about to use. <laughs> so thank you for that, Joel. <laughs> and uh, this little creature wiggles its way into Brian's bedroom while he's asleep, bites him on the back of the neck, and inserts a little um, kind of needle that goes directly into his brain and pumps this blue fluid into Brian's brain. And as the IMDb synopsis you know, kind of alluded to, it basically is like he took a hit of acid or LSD. And so he's having these really extreme visions and hallucinations and he's enjoying the heck out of it. And while, while he's having one such hallucination in a junkyard, what he doesn't realize because he's so whacked out of his mind is that this little creature detaches and goes and kills the security guard and eats that security guard's brains before coming back to its host, Brian. What was unclear to me is why this thing doesn't just kill Brian or doesn't just kill its host and move on. It, it, but it, it seems like it gets something out of having this symbiotic relationship with its hosts. It wants to kind of keep a host for a while and not just kind of go around eating brains because it, the monster is capable of only eating brain. It doesn't need to expel this juice into its hosts and give them this euphoric experience, but it does. And it's really weird. It's a wise cracking, plain talking monster. It's voice is actually, it's actually voiced by Zachary. Yeah, it was Zachary. Other than Vampira, he is one of the original horror hosts. Uh, he hosted shock theater. I believe it was in the New York market. It was somewhere in that area. Uh, yeah, he is, is a literally, one of the grand masters of the horror host tradition. And, uh, and that's awesome that he's the voice. And I yeah. completely had forgotten about that. Well, it's interesting. And, you know, it turns out that this little creature has been wreaking havoc on humankind for centuries. And it's chosen this little New York apartment um, as its latest home, but it's seen the rise and fall of empires. We learn, which <laughs> is very hard to believe based on kind of the actions that we see this whole creature taking. But um, it's funny. You could definitely tell that this was made by the same person who made Basket Case. In fact, there is a Basket Case cameo in this film, which is kind of fun. <laughs> on the subway where Dwayne yes. Radley and his brother make their way onto the subway car and they stare at Brian for a little bit and then <laughs> get back off the subway. I thought that was a fun that's moment. awesome. I need to rewatch this. I remember actually liking it quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's a bad movie, but it's certainly a unique movie. Yeah. And it's, I think if this is your kind of thing, if you like schlocky creature features, you're going to have a blast. I feel like Hinn Lauder as a director is a bit of an acquired taste for people. I mean, you either appreciate movies like Frankenhooker and Basket Case 1, 2, and 3, uh, which I, I remember actually, because uh, I because this came out in 88, so I would have probably been in middle school, I'm thinking actually now, when I think it through. I would have probably been out on video for a couple years when I finally saw it, but I was probably middle school, eighth grade-ish. And then, but when Basket Case 2 and 3 came out in the early 90s, I was so stoked for those <laughs> It was ridiculous how excited I had posters from Fango for those movies on my wall. So I love Hinden Lauder's stuff. I mean, it's out there. It's wacky. It's just like you said, it's bizarre. It's goofy. It's everything. It's original. Yes. That is one word that will always describe Frank Hinden Lauder, both his movies and the person. Uh, quick side note. And uh, if you want to keep it in, you can't just an anecdote. Uh, I worked with a guy at a movie theater. He was a manager and he had been a manager at a drive-in in the mid 80s. Uh, or the early 80s, excuse me. And he actually had a story where he was working the booth and they got this movie in he had never heard of called Basket Case. 
And Hindenlauter himself called him as he was putting the reels together to verify that it had gotten there because I guess at that those early days, right, he was like self-distributing. I mean, it was like pretty much whatever the little company was that helped him get out into drive-ins, he was checking up on all the prints to make sure they had gotten to where they were supposed to be wow. and that there was no issues with it. So you actually got to to talk to Hinnenlotter for a few minutes uh, about the movie. So I thought that was kind of awesome. cool. Yeah. So for me, like, I think I actually rate this probably in the four out of 10 range. Ouch. That's in terms of what I would call its quality, right? Okay. But hey, this is a definite stream it on Shutter for me. I would buy this movie for sure if there was like a Shout Factory release of it on Blu-ray. Um, it is a crazy 80s schlocky creepshire feature. But even if you think this is the kind of movie you would like to buy, I would still recommend watching it on Shutter first because... Uh, it is a really weird movie, <laughs> so I think uh, you might want to just check it out before you put down your hard-earned dollars on it, but definitely worth the stream. So that's Brain Damage, and again, that is streaming right now on Shutter. It's something that you can check out with your Shutter subscription, and if you would like to try Shutter free for 30 days, go to Shutter.com and enter the promo code HMP. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and the promo code HMP. And now we'll go into our collector's crypt with Dave, Dr. Shock Becker. All right. The collector's crypt is the four disc set of the Critters films, Critters one through four. I actually own this and it is a Scream Factory release. And uh, as I was saying earlier, you can expect great things from Scream Factory. And I do think they deliver with their Critters package. Uh, you have the first Critters film where a, the Krites are on a, uh, I guess, a prison ship be, or being taken to a prison colony. It's set in space. They escape in a, in a uh, spaceship and are tracked by these two bounty hunters who have blank faces and they sort of assume the identity of... I guess if whatever planet they end up on, they want to uh, fit in with the local inhabitants. So they end up looking like humans because the critters make their way, the crites make their way to earth and end up in a farm uh, where they terrorize a family and pretty much terrorize an entire town. Now the disc for this is jam packed. It has two commentary tracks on, on the Blu-ray for critters. One by the uh, producer, Barry Opper, and his brother, uh, Don Opper, who actually plays a part in the movie. And the second commentary track is the Chodo Brothers, all three of them talking about the special effects. And I did listen to a little bit of both of them. Uh, the Chodos don't have much to say at the beginning of the movie because you don't really see the critters at that point. It's a little, there, there are stretches of silence, but they do get into it. Uh, one of the more interesting things, and I don't, you know, this isn't really giving anything away because they go into a lot of different things with the critters. One of the things I found very interesting was the critters in the first film, they used actual buffalo hide with, with the hair on these critters. And the Chodos said, yeah, they looked great. That was something that the higher-ups kind of wanted. However, they were the puppeteers, and they said it made it almost impossible to move these things. They were so stiff 
that it really sort of it gave their hands, you know, workouts in a big way, moving these these critters because they used actual buffalo fur. That is not a mistake they made in the following three films. They did end up changing it up for those. But there is also a making of documentary called They Bite. And this making of documentary is an hour and 11 minutes. I mean, it is packed. Wow. Uh, the writer, the creator of the original Critters, swears up and down that it was not inspired by Gremlins. He had come up with this beforehand. Of course, then someone does admit in the documentary that without Gremlins, Critters would not have been made. And I think we've talked about that. And I think it's absolutely true. Uh, there is also a tribute uh, called For Brian for the screenwriter of the film who passed away. And everybody's sort of talking about him. There are also... Uh, trailers, photo galleries, and, and whatnot. Uh, Critters 2 has another kind of interesting opening in space. We get to see uh, Bradley Brown, who was one of the kids of the family where these critters sort of invaded their farm. He's back in this one. It's set at Easter time. It does have the same, uh, I guess, bounty hunters as well. This is the one, actually, where you get the rolling, the big ball of the critters rolling. You didn't really get that. They rolled in the original, but it was more the individual critters doing it. This one, toward the end, is where you get the big ball of critters rolling into town. It's interesting to note that, as I mentioned, in the first critters, they talked about how it is not influenced in any way by gremlins, at least the story itself. The existence of it is a different matter, but the story itself, the writer claimed it was not. In the making of documentary on Critters 2, which runs an hour and three minutes, by the way, and this also does have two commentary tracks, and one of them by the Chodo brothers talking about the effects in Critters 2. One of the interesting things to note is that Mick Garris refers to it in that documentary toward the very beginning of that making of, calls the original Critters a sort of low-budget Gremlins knockoff. It's interesting to note that Critters 2 feels more like a Gremlins knockoff, with that being in mind, than the first Critters did. There is a scene set in a restaurant with these Critters that is almost taken, feels like it was a scene lifted, could have been lifted right from the first Gremlins with the way that the Critters behave, what they're doing, how they're acting, everything about them. That said, this is set in the same town, has some recurring characters, and it has, it's an entertaining feel to the film. It is more comedy, I think, even than the first one. And the first one had its share of comedy. The characters do play it straight, though, for the most part. And this one, I think, is a nice follow-up to the first one. Maybe a step down, but not a big step down. It's still an entertaining film. Critters 3 and 4 you get fascinating casting in that one. Just for example, Critters 3 was Leonardo DiCaprio's first film. No longer puts it on his resume. I could pretty much guarantee that. What? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. You, you wouldn't think Leo would be that way, but uh, they mentioned in the making of documentary, and it's interesting because the making of documentaries on 3 and 4 are uh, less than a half hour, both of them. If that says anything, the first two you had over an hour and these ones are less than a half hour. There was only one commentary track on Critters 3 and 4. They were shot back to back, which is kind of interesting. Uh, they were meant to be a just sort of continuous sort of flow. 
but you get a young Leo DiCaprio. He's about 15 in this movie. And it's this one takes place in a city. Somehow the Krites end up back in this city in this tenement building. And Leo DiCaprio's father ends up being the sort of slumlord of this uh, building. And it take, took it out of its element in a way. It, it just wasn't quite as entertaining for me critters three especially there's a character of the father of this 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 girl and and her brother they're the main characters and the father just seems you never quite can peg him he's he wants to send the son away and and he's not sure about a job there's times he's talking about oh i just want to take a nap but yet he doesn't there are times when he seems like sort of a strong parental figure. It, I couldn't really figure out where they were going with that character. And I think you find that with a, with a couple characters in this film. Um, and there's one who's just so evil as, as the mustache twirling sort of villain <laughs> in the film. It's interesting to see Leo DiCaprio so young uh, in a movie that he no longer acknowledges. But Critters 3 just didn't quite have it for me. Critters 4... It seems like all of these series do this. And this one, it sort of fits because it started in space. But Critters 4 is set almost entirely in space. And there are scenes in this one that feel very aliens-esque. For example, there is a character who ends up in a ship at the end of Critters 3. They need these eggs left by the Krites uh, taken up into space. Uh, and this character ends up in there, trapped in there, and passes out in the ship. Well, it turns out the ship had been floating for over 50 years before it's found. Uh, very, very reminiscent of aliens. And the way that the Krites sort of manifest themselves and, and, and uh, with the eggs and everything sort of lent it to alien, how they're loose on the ship. Uh, so you, you get the, the vibe. But this is also interesting casting. You have Angela Bassett in an early role, not her first role. Uh, and Brad Dorff, and uh, you know, I, I've, I've said it before how much I admire Brad Dorff. He gives his all. In a way, he reminds me of Bella Lugosi from when Bella Lugosi was doing those monogram and, and the, the Poverty Row films where he's giving it his all. Brad Dorff delivers a very strong performance as one of the crew members of this ship that, yeah. that sort of intercepted the other ship. Uh, and Angela Bassett does too. But again, this one feels a little detached from the Critters universe. However, this one has less humor. The only humor in this is the Critters themselves. Um, by the way, there was one thing I wrote down here in Critters 3 that really had me rolling my eyes. They even have a Critters fart joke in Critters 3. But you don't get that level of humor in Critters 4, but they are still the ones providing the humor. And they do in, throughout the series... But in, you know, the first couple other characters get in on it as well. In this one, it's almost, a, it's a lot more serious. And I think maybe Brad Dorff had something to do with that because he plays this character. He plays it very well. He's very convincing uh, in this part. But again, Critters 3 and 4 just didn't quite, quite, Critters 3 and 4 didn't quite reach the level for me of Critters 1 and 2. Uh, and again, you get a making of trailers, a gallery, and one commentary track. And this one's by the producer and Don Opper, who was in the film. And I'm pretty sure that's who does it for 3 and 4 where you get the commentary track. But it's interesting to note that 3 and 4 were shot back to back, even though they're set in very different locations. One is on Earth in a tenement building. The other is in space 50 years in the future, but they were shot back to back. Uh, overall, 
if you are a fan of Critters, I think this is a set worth owning. Uh, for Critters 1 and Critters 2, and just to see a young Leo DiCaprio in, in Critters 3 and Brad Dorff's performance in Critters 4 are what I would recommend from those two movies apart from anything else. Uh, but the set itself is really well put together. Screen Factory did a, an outstanding job with it. And if you are a fan of Critters, this is a set you will definitely want to own. Excellent. Cool. Joel? Uh, I love Critters. <laughs> <laughs> are you going to get it? Uh, yes, I am. I actually uh, remember when they said that they were going to release it. And I, uh, I figure there's certain things that I ask for for christmas slash birthday presents and uh, this will be on that list actually uh, this and i think they also had the night of the creeps special edition thing that they were putting out that had like the uh, tom atkins figure that came with it so there's a few of them that are a little bit more on the pricey side that i find it hard to uh rationalize to my wife of why did you spend this much on a <laughs> box set for critters um though she is a fan as well the first one at least but uh, no thank you very much Dave. that actually i, I was wondering sure. if it had as much in-depth behind the scenes stuff and, and whatnot as uh, as I was hoping it would. Um, yes, I'm, they all have a making of. And usually 20, 20 some minutes are the standard length of the making sure. ofs anyway. Critters 1 and 2, I thought, knocked it out of the park, both of them over an hour. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and I'm actually a fan of part two. I haven't seen it in years, but I know Mick Garris directed it and I was always a fan of it. So I would, mm -hmm. uh, and I would love to re revisit that one. I think it's super cool that they have all the, uh, the extras. That's excellent. Cool. Okay, so that wraps up the Tiny Terrors-themed episode. I think we can all agree that this was just part one of an exploration of uh, a, a horror theme <laughs> that is definitely in need of many, many more episodes dedicated You're to living it. living in a dream world, Joel. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, probably. And if that is the case, may the gods of horror watch over us. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, while they're watching over us, uh, Josh, you want to let everybody know where they can find you online? Well, I did want to let people know, yeah, we alluded to it earlier, but there is a new Critters film. Uh, it's a 2019 film that we did not include in this. There's, of course, a new Annabelle film that's a 2019 film that we did not include in this. And, uh, Joel, you mentioned there's actually going to yes. be a sequel to The Boy. Yes, called out. Brahms. The Boy 2 starring, uh, I believe what I said, Katie Holmes is uh, going to be the star of it. Apparently, they did not get uh, Maggie from The Walking Dead. Her real name is escaping me. <laughs> What's her real name? Is Lauren it, uh, Cohen. Lauren Cohen, that's it, yes. Uh, and... I don't know why. I don't know if it's a totally different story. I mean, but Brahms is the name, so presumably it's still connected uh, to the original boy storyline in some way, shape, or form, unless it's a prequel. I suppose it could be. I'm glad to see that it's directed by the original director, William Brent Bell, who's uh, a friend of the show. He's been a horse and a mortgager twice, I believe. So good luck to him. And I was a big fan of the original boy, so I'm actually looking forward to that. And I believe it comes out in sometime in early December, it looks like. Cool. All right. So where can they find you online, Wolfman? Oh, yeah, that. Um, <laughs> can find me on social media at Icarus Arts, which is the name of my production company. I'm on Letterboxd, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Uh, you can also find me at monsterscast.libson.com, which is the temporary home of Gods and Monsters, the Universal Monsters cast. And other than that, I'm just right here. I'm here. This is where you can find me. I'm, I'm, I'm at it right now. That's right. Or moviepodcast.com. Dave, come check out uh, my reviews on dvdinfatuation.com. I'm on Twitter at dvdinfatuation. Also on Facebook, Instagram, Letterboxd, 
other podcasts. The We Deal in Lead will be coming back at some point. The Westerns podcast that I co-host along with uh, with Matt. We have uh, the, uh, as Josh had just alluded to, the Gods and Monsters, Universal Monsters cast will be coming back soon, especially with the, uh, the new news of the 2019 Invisible Man. That'll be coming up shortly. And Land of the Creeps with uh, Greg Amortis, Haddonfield Hatchet, Bill Van Vagel, and a variety of others. You could find that at landofthecreeps.blogspot.com. All right. And I can also be found Universal Monsters Cast and, of course, Retro Movie Geek. You can check that out at retromoviegeek.com, on iTunes, all the usual suspect places. And... Remember, we love reading and responding to your comments, so please get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community. It's truly a great group of people. You can leave a comment in the show notes for this episode at horrormoviepodcast.com, where you can find this and all 180 of our past episodes. You can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorMovieCast. If you'd like to support Horror Movie Podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can get your listener-designed HMP t-shirts at horrormoviepodcast.com forward slash store. You can also become a patron of Movie Podcast Network for only $2.50 at patreon.com forward slash moviepodcastnetwork. You can try Shudder free for 30 days. Just go to Shudder.com and use the promo code HMP when signing up. That's S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com and the promo code HMP. We want to thank singer-songwriter Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. We also want to thank composer Kagan Breitenbach for his arrangement and orchestration of Fred's original theme, which opens the show. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. And that's it for this episode. We hope you'll join us again for our next episodes when it's Halloween time, guys! October! Yes! It's a special, special horror movie podcast extravaganza. But you'll have to be subscribed and tuned in to find out what it is I'm talking about. So thank you for joining us for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Okay, so Dolls is... And you did on pause, correct? I'm sorry. I, 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 yeah, no, no, thank okay. you for asking. I'd rather you ask. All right. <laughs> And Wolfman Josh. Have you seen my little Muffy? <laughs> probably, probably shouldn't go with that one. I'll go with what I did before. I just didn't say no. <laughs> I didn't want to do the same one I had done before. I guess then, Josh, I feel like you might have a question for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, you, know, you, said, you had said <laughs> in our previous record, I don't want to do this the whole time. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. One I forgot to ask you about really briefly before we move on. How would you compare Munchies to the 1995 Meatloaf film To Catch a Yeti? Uh, I wouldn't because I've never seen To Catch a Yeti. Oh, well, make sure you see that and update us. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that I wanted to mention, I noticed this looking at uh, John Zachary's Wikipedia page. It looks like he actually started out in the Philadelphia market and before he moved to New York, 
And I think Dr. Shock is who replaced him in Philadelphia when he moved to the New York market. Oh, okay. It sounds familiar, but that's because I think I heard sort of Dr. Shock's Very cool. Yeah. Biography. I saw something on YouTube about Dr. Shock. And I wouldn't have remembered Zachary, I don't think, because I Dr. Shock, I think, started in seventy one or seventy two in Philly when I was Correct. Yeah, you know, very yeah. young, like two or three years old. So I wouldn't remember Zachary, but I, the name did uh, ring a bell. Yeah, I have on DVD a actual documentary that's like sort of like a documentary slash compilation of clips from his shows called Horrible Horror. And mm-hmm. it's, I think it was done maybe the late 80s, maybe early 90s, but somewhere in that area. And it's just him, you know, kind of in the role. And they show a bunch of stuff from back in the in the 50s and early 60s. And uh, yeah, I just I, I love the guy. He just had a, a really awesome. great humor. He had an album that was really popular, like one of those like novelty albums that he did uh, with, with various, you know, sort of novelty songs, horror and Halloween based songs on it that uh, was, I guess, had its its moment in the spotlight uh, in the 60s. So, yeah, big fan. Cool. Well, I'm a fan of Basket Case and I'm a fan of uh, Frankenhooker. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite special features was on, well, it was on the original Something Weird release of Basket Case. And I think they did bring it over to, to Arrow's for, uh, release of Basket Case as well. Was Head and Lauder visiting the original locations of where he shot Basket Case. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun because he doesn't get laid. One building wouldn't let him in and he, <laughs> he's not too happy about it. And it's just a great special feature. But uh, that has me uh, very interested to check out Brain Damage now. Yeah. I just, every interview I've ever seen with a guy, he's self-deprecating, but he just seems to have a total grasp of himself and the movies he makes. And he's unapologetic for it. And he just, he could tell he's just having fun. Like he's just a guy he's like, you know what? I right. made some really awesome, weird, quirky movies, and I love it, and I don't care. So right. I just have an appreciation for that. I enjoy schlock, but not as much as you guys. So like, I really enjoy the first Basket Case, yeah. and I enjoyed this one. But yeah, I'm not necessarily as much into the Basket Case sequels or the Frankenhooker. Obviously, dolls are not the only tiny terror that we're referring right. to in this episode, or unless you guys want it to be. And this could be another, this could be like a killer doll mm. episode. We could shift, no. we could shift gears. no. Yeah. I, I think it's important to know that this is a killer doll episode and <laughs> we're going to be good after this. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay. Okay. Yes. We're covering them. We're covering them ad nauseum here. So that, that should do it. That should satisfy all the killer doll fans out there. Um, Juan and barely <laughs> Ashley and yourself. Jeff. Okay. I got it. <laughs> but for my money, the best child's play tiny terror that's been done in years. Child's play. Maybe. Ever, in my opinion. Child's play. No. 